Hi, I'm Adam Sobel, and this is Deep Convection. My guest today on the podcast is Usman Daye. Usman is the director of the National Meteorological Service of Senegal. That's a first for this podcast. I haven't yet had on anyone who leads a government agency of any country. So how and why did we get him? Well, Usman got his PhD here at Columbia years ago, and he was sort of my student. I wasn't his main research supervisor, and we never wrote a paper together, but I was on his committee, and I knew him well at that time, and we used to talk a lot. So, yeah, connections are everything when it comes to booking guests, I guess is the lesson there. As you'll hear, Usman's story is amazing, and very, very different from that of anyone else I've talked to on here yet. And it's partly that he's from sub-Saharan Africa, a part of the world that doesn't have as many climate scientists as some other parts do, and even fewer of them make to the U.S. But it's more than that. Usman was an orphan. He lost his parents at a young age and was raised by his big sister. And he's not just the first person in his family to get a PhD or to go to college. He's the first person in his family to go to high school. Not to finish high school, to start. So to get from there to do a PhD in the U.S. took a lot of resourcefulness, ability, ambition, and hard work on Usman's part, but also a lot of support and encouragement and help from many others, and you'll hear about how much was invested in him by many people, and you'll also hear how much he's been motivated by a desire to pay that forward and to make things better for others. At the end, we get into what Usman did when he got back to Senegal, and started working at the weather service there, and how that has evolved now that he's the director. Almost from the beginning of his studies in meteorology, as a young student in Senegal and Algeria, Usman had been working on seasonal forecasting of the West African monsoon. In other words, predicting a few months ahead of time whether it will be a good monsoon or a bad one. He continued this at Columbia, and then took it up again when he got back to Senegal after his PhD. But by then, having been trained at Columbia's International Research Institute for Climate and Society, IRI it's called, he understood that the value of the forecasts would be limited not just by how accurate they were, but by whether their potential users understood them and valued them or not. And he also knew that in order for that to happen, you have to understand them, the users, and their needs. So when he got back to Senegal, he started holding meetings with farmers to learn how they think and how they work and develop practices of forecasting and forecast communication that would work for them. That work was successful. It attracted support and interest from the farmers, from the agency he worked for, and the international community, and it's led to the point where now Usman can pursue it and build on it from a position of much greater authority. So as we think about sustainable development and climate adaptation in Senegal and West Africa and elsewhere, part of that is developing scientific capacity so that understanding of what's happening is based on local knowledge, as well as the latest science. So Usman is really doing important work. I'm honored to know him, and even more so that he had this conversation with me. So here, without further ado, is my conversation with Usman Ndaye. Okay, well, thank you for doing this, Usman. My thank pleasure. you for taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure. It's a while since we uh, saw each other. Yeah, so it's Boston, right? And I know you're a busy man. That's <laughs> more busier than I. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> At this point in my career, I'm I'm like 
avoiding responsibility. I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, I don't even want to be department chair. So, um, yeah, so I'm very impressed by uh, the amount of authority and responsibility you, you have taken on. Mm. But why don't we um, start the way we usually start with your biography? Mm. So what I always ask everyone is, where are you from, Usman? I'm from Senegal, which is the westernmost country of Africa. And uh, I was born actually in a city next to the capital. It is called Ches. It's the next city to the capital, Dakar. Mm-hmm. That's where I was born and where I do my first studies. Yeah. And I understood from the, the bio you sent me that you lost your parents at an early age. Yeah, yeah. That's part of life, you know. Uh, I lost my mom like five, four years old. Even I don't know her. So I just know her through pictures. Some few pictures that we had. You don't remember her and because I, you were only four. No, I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember her. Yeah, yeah. it was too early. It's four years old. And uh, I lost my dad when I was eight. I remember him mm. very well. You know. What caused their deaths? I mean, how, what killed Oh, them? my father was so old because I was quite the last kid. So she, he was so old. My well, mom, the last I of I how many? Oh, brothers, we was three. And uh-huh. sisters, we were six. As usual, okay, so African you're the youngest family. of 10. I'm the youngest, yeah. And sorry, your mom? How did, how did you lose your mom? I, I don't know. I, uh, she was ill and uh, at the hospital for a few months and after she passed away. So that's the story that I recollect. From. Okay, and so you grew up with your I siblings. grew up with my sisters and brothers, and especially one sister who raised me up and uh, I was in the family. So she's and much older she was than quite, yeah, she was even much older than me. She was born in 1960. And when are you born? Mm-hmm. I don't actually know. 1970, 10 years, you know, gap. Okay, so you're not actually so much younger than me as I thought. <laughs> and what's the sister's name? Is Ngoni. Say again? Ngoni. Ngoni. N-G-O-N-E. Ngoni, yeah. Ngoni. Yeah, exactly. How do you spell it? Yeah. Is she still around? Yeah, she's still around. She's still around. She was quite a, a mom because I didn't know my mom, so... Even it's a 10 years gap, but uh, I consider her as my mom and she raised me and take me to school and all, all those things that mom have to do with a, with a kid. Yeah. And and you also told me that you went further in your education than your yeah. than the rest of your family. Uh, what happened is, it's usually in Africa, you know, people sometimes don't go so far. Even it's, a, it's a chance. It's a, people are very lucky to get good education. If you raise in a family that your father or your mom are educated, you have more chance to get the education. But, you know, I lost my parents. And in the family, n- nobody gets to the high school, per se. They didn't even my start ex- high school. They Not didn't start they high school. Yeah. No, they didn't start high school. So my sister understood the value of education and wanted mm. me really to get the education. That's what mm. I really remember and be thankful for her. She mm. was saying that uh, you have to, you have to, you have to get there. So... And always she gave me example of people who succeed in the things that, you know, at least, you know, to be a teacher or whatever. So mm. sometimes she was hiring some tutoring for me. People who come to, you know, to help me in my, in my education. Uh, well, yeah, I realized I, I managed to make it in that environment. And then uh, I get as far as, you know, it was possible to get. And remind me, so then you went to university in Dakar? Yeah, when I finished my bachelor degree, actually there was only two universities in the whole country. 
and University of Dakar was the one that, you know, most of the people. So I have to leave the, the city at the time and went to the capital. So I yeah. did only one year in physics and chemistry. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you know, the university was huge, you know, it was like more than 1,000, you know, students at the first year at physics and chemistry. Because mm-hmm. everybody in the country is coming in that one. Mm-hmm. And also, as well as neighboring countries also are coming in Dakar. Mm-hmm. So the best bet you can get is to get either a scholarship to go abroad or just to, to do your best to succeed. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult to get through the, the first two years. So I spent one year doing physics and chemistry that I like so much. And after I got a scholarship, because at the time I was applying for many scholarships everywhere, mm-hmm. usually you apply for France because the close relationship you have with France in the colonization. Yeah. And I got a scholarship from Algeria for a meteorology school. At the time, I didn't know what meteorology is you know, for. So okay, I wait, wait. Around. I want to hear about this, but let's take a, a step back for a minute. How did you mm. first get interested in science? I mean, when, when you went to university, you'd studied physics and chemistry, but like, yeah. did your interest in those things go back all the way? You always were interested in that, or somehow it's a... How did that at choice high school, happen? I had, at, at high school, usually here in the system, you have to choose either to go literature more or to go general science, what they call it, is mm-hmm. life science, environmental mm-hmm. science, or to go to more math-like math and physics. Mm-hmm. So I choose to be to do math and physics because it depends on your grades, how good are you that they will, you know. So in high school, you're already specialized in certain. Yes, subjects. at the okay. end of the high school, because yeah. And then that's why I was doing math and physics mostly. I see. And so at the university, they based on that, they will, you know. Right. So after one, you were only one year in Dakar before you go to Algeria? Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, how did Dakar, it, was, so if you didn't know what meteorology was, how did that get? How did yeah, I mean, uh, the scholarship is uh, not depending on your background, depending on just the offer. So you just oh, imagine see. in. You imagine uh, many people just trying to get out of the country to get the better education. So you right. apply different kind of scholarship. And then the one that I was offered was in the meteorology. So I didn't know anything about it. But I see. You just applied for many, many different things. and you see Many different things. It was either oil or meteorology. So mm. when I asked around, they told me, you know, the aviation is hiring after that for meteorology. So it's a good job. Mm-hmm. You can get a good pay. So yeah. uh, I, I choose it, yeah. Okay. That's how I, uh, I choose to go to Algeria. So you did the rest of your bachelor in Algeria? Yeah. It was four years at the school. Uh, it's a WMO school in Algeria. Oh, the entire school is run by WMO, is under WMO? Yeah, style? it's a, I think the diploma is uh, WMO. WMO, uh, I don't know how to tell it. WMO uh, accept few schools in the world that are WMO school, and WMO gives them some kind of scholarship and uh, funding, and they I will see. take people in different countries. So I when, I, when I got in, it was uh, four years. The two years you do likely math and those background that we need in, uh, in meteorology. And the two other years you start doing specialized meteorology you know, classes like clouds, uh, convection, tropical meteorology, you know, uh-huh. statistics, of course, uh-huh. and forecasting, and so on and so forth. And also, at the end of the year, you have also to do internship. That's where you go. And were, were the students from many different countries like you? I mean, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. There was school for... So it's a diverse, it's not from, just Algerian, yeah, it's many, it, it, many no, 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 it was diverse, but mostly from Africa. 
Yes. So anybody who is French speaking uh, and having WMO grant, they sent him to Algeria. Yeah, it was a nice school and uh, I spent there four years in Algeria. That was my first time to go abroad. I spent was it very different years. life? Uh, I mean, was it very unfamiliar? Yeah, I mean, life is a little bit different because, you know, Algeria is more Arab culture. Even yeah. though we was Muslim, so we some, somehow, you know, it was very close in something. But in terms of culture, it was completely different, you know. Yeah. But as we was few people from abroad, foreign people, usually get together, you know, and then live our lives, you know, in our culture also. So there was, was different people coming from Chad, from Niger, from Mali. So it was very close. So we used to actually to live in the same apartment. So you were saying that, that Algeria is different because it's, although it's Muslim, it's Arab. Yeah, yes. Okay. It was completely, it was, yeah, it was very different. It was different. But uh, what we do usually is we try people having the same culture, like us in Mali and Niger, live in the same apartment. You know, we cook uh -huh. together, you know, we hang on together, so on and yeah. so forth. But I do have a few friends in, in Algeria and the teachers usually also, I have a few teachers, they really like me also, you know. Yeah. Um, so then, okay, so, uh, and ha I mean, looking back on it, with all your international experience that you have now, I mean, any comment on the, how the meteorology education was? I mean, you know, was it, yeah, I, I, mean, I guess it was effective in getting you forward in your yeah. career. Yeah, I mean, the program was, was good because it's a WMO program, I guess. Some teachers was really excellent because they was graduate in France and they just come back uh -huh. and they like what they was doing, you know, and some other teachers was less, you know, because of the culture, it was different, but we didn't have the means, you know, co computer was not, you know, available for us, for example, even though we was doing programming, I remember doing Fortran and so and so forth. I mean, statistics was really good. And also mm. tropical meteorology. Also, we have a professor. He was he, he passed away. He was so good and uh, you know so nice to us. What's his name? Uh, Senusi Mohammed Senusi. Mm. Yeah, I guess. He, he, but he's, he's gone now, he's, so we can't. Uh, yeah, he's gone now. He was very good, excellent in uh, tropical meteorology, and also always appealing us to do more and to go further. And sometimes he will tell us some story of good meteorology. For example, Lastenra's name. You know, and uh, other names, you know, it was Krishnamurti, for example. I learned those names. Krishnamurti? And Pit Lam. Yeah, Krishnamurti, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, and Pit Lam was his name, you know, was yeah. always ranking. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was great. The only thing is Algeria, at the time, Algeria was going in a very difficult political, you know, situation. Remember, there was a kind of, uh, you so know. This is 90s, kind of? Yeah, 90s, yeah, 92 to 96, I was there. Yeah. So 91, that's where the Islamists won the election. It was diff difficult, very difficult. I mean, you have to go to bed at 7 p.m. Everything was closed. Really? And also, yeah, always your parents was worrying. Everybody knowing that you are in Algeria was worrying, you know, because right. it was always killing. And then the French people was always targeting, stranger in general, not us because as African, but I mean, you was always, you know, worrying about how the situation was, and that the situation was very difficult, very painful, you know, to, to live. Mm. But the city we were was very, uh, you know, nice city and very open to, you know. Which city? Uh, it was Oran. Oran, it was in the west. It's a city it was, you know, and, quite and built so, so by just to French take a step people. back for a minute, so although you, you were from Senegal, which is a Muslim country, but I guess it wasn't such a religious state. In other words, it was a big change for, yeah, not, it was it, a big, Senegal was not like this at all. 
No, 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 no. And mostly in terms of culture, it was much more difficult. And this situation, political situation, was very difficult. Mm. And also Algeria was also going to the economical crisis, and that makes things much difficult. But hopefully us, we had a scholarship, and it was much better because our scholarship was you know, consistent enough to mm. make us live you know, decently. But it was a very difficult moment. That's mm. what I... Uh, remember but some professor was good the education was okay people was you know very concerned that you you get good grades and you know and they were very stingy on that so you have to have to work hard mm-hmm. but my background in senegal by one year in math and physics really helped me a lot so the first mm-hmm. two years i didn't study too much just playing soccer and you know <laughs> doing what i want but <laughs> but you know that was it and i got interested in, the, in in meteorology i was reading a lot going to the library before I started really to do some meteorological stuff, I really was interesting. After my third year, I was really interested in meteorology. Clouds was my best, you know, field that I really interested in, you know. At the mm. time, they asked us to, <laughs> to learn things by heart that I didn't, mm. you know, good enough. But that's the way it is. You know, there was, I mean, 10 kinds of clouds. You know, the test is just the professor say, serious cloud, for example, and you give it exactly how it is said in the, WMO, you know, definition, exactly, word for word, <laughs> note for word, you know, any word that you mess up or even you go the, the right, you know, ideas, it doesn't count. You have to give it word for word. Okay. And observation was also great, you know. I start, you know, things start making sense for me, you know, why is those cloud, why is those things, and, you know. And when I start doing my internship, that's where I start doing uh, seasonal forecasting. It was quite new. So an internship with whom? Who are you working with for the Who's uh, Senussi, the same guy we were saying, Tropical Oh, at the university. Mohamed Senussi. At the university, yeah. It was a school. Yeah. I mean, they call it engineering school. Yeah, okay, but you're doing, the point is, it's not with uh, with an agent, with the weather service or something. You're doing a private no, study. No, 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 no. You have to go to the uh, to the National Weather Service to do those kind of applications, they call it. Yeah. At the time, those maps, those weather maps was done by the hand. So they, yes. they put the, pres- the pressures and you have to connect, connect to them and see the yes. high and lows and yes. start now making your forecast. Yes. And uh, it was quite interesting at that moment. And uh, after that, it's one month after that, you take a subject and then you start working with one professor that we call internship there. Yeah, and yeah. then you start, you know, studying, looking and, you know, so and so forth. So it was interesting in seasonal forecasting relationship between SST, surface temperature, and rainfall over, over Senegal. I have few data from mm-hmm. Senegal. So, and then I start, you know, working, doing some statistical stuff, learning a few things like EOF, uh, correlation, those kind of stuff. But it was interesting, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, a few methods of statistics, you know. That's where I start, you know, really doing some research and being interested in, in seasonal forecasting. And the good thing is this science was just starting in, uh, in the Sahel. Because remember, the first seasonal forecasting, official one, is in 1998. The and, first uh, seasonal forecast in the Sahel was in 1998. Was in 1998. So no I was one graduated. Have done a seasonal forecast before for the Sahel? They, they did few. I mean, Pete Lamb paper back in, uh, I guess, 1978 was the background, I mean, for, yeah. for, I mean, the, I mean, for I seasonal guess... forecasting. I guess but at this time, actual. seasonal forecasting was still new anywhere. Yeah, I mean, it, wasn't, yeah. it was still pretty new in the U.S. or any place. Yeah. The exactly, IRI was exactly. just kind of starting around that time and so on. Yeah. yeah. Neil Wood published a paper in 96 
talking about the relationship between Sahel and worldwide sea surface temperature. Yeah. Yeah, in that paper. Neil Ward and, uh, and oh, yeah, wor- yeah, worldwide SST and Sahel and rainfall. Okay. And, and Sahel rainfall, yeah, that paper. Oh, so you were aware really, of that? You knew that paper then? Or? When I finished it, yes, I was aware of it because uh, at the time in 96, Neil came in uh, Ahmad, is an African center for mm-hmm. meteorological and development. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to do it operational. I mean, making mm-hmm. make a signal focus operational. So he was training few people and, and trying Ahmed to see. In which, I can't remember where Ahmad is. Niger, Niger, okay. Niger, yeah, Niger, in uh, Nyame. So uh, when I finished mm-hmm. and my professor sent a letter to Ahmad and a letter also to Neil Ward about the work we are doing. And then Ahmad was saying, it would be good if I can come so uh-huh. to the center and so on and so forth. But, you know, unfortunately, when I finished, I wanted to go back home and uh, to start looking for a job because, you know, I have to sustain my family. So one thing in my mind is to get rapidly, quickly a job and coming to sustain my right. family because, you know, right. people... Because you were the, was, I mean, you, you were the kind of the family's uh, hope, ex- ex- right? The one exactly who hope, yeah, yeah, exactly, and, exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. My two brothers, even they work, they wouldn't, you know, have a big salary, you know, to to help the family. So it was something that I have in mind that I have to go back as soon as mm-hmm. possible. So that was it in the school. You know, it was a nice environment. People liked me a lot because you know I was a good student. You know, I was playing soccer with people. And I was a Muslim also, you know, all those things count. So it was a very nice environment. But it was difficult in a social way and so economical way. It was very, very difficult. And always thinking there are any times that there are some people who was killed at Algeria, people always call and to find out everything's okay. And that was a kind of a pressure. You mean your family would see the news? My family, yeah. And they would call you to say... Yeah, to say how things are safe. I say, no, it's not here. It's just in Algeria and this environment here. We are safe. But, you know, it was difficult always to explain. Anyway, so we made it after four years. And then I went back in Senegal. Mm. So getting in Senegal, there was another challenge, finding a job. (laughs) It was easy. So when I come back, I went to the med service. It was different stories, you know. I mean, it was just kind of civil servant things. People are doing things as, you know, as business as usual, you know. It was not so exciting for me. What I was doing didn't make sense. You mean, I wanna... that, wait, wait, I want to understand this. You mean, so you went back to get a job and you talked to people in the med service. So maybe you could have gotten a job there or you, maybe you did. I, did you get a job? I didn't. I, I didn't. Yeah. It was difficult. Yeah. I, I, I it didn't. was difficult to get it, but also you're saying that you had learned some sort of new science, seasonal forecasting, and, and they exactly. weren't interested in that? Yet or? Yeah, I, you know, when I finished my engineering, I was so excited to go back and apply, applying and do things. So exciting. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe I, I, I overexcited. <laughs> and when I came to the med service, people was not interesting. So people are just doing observation, you know, doing something. And this science was so strange for them. You know, per se. I see. So the the, the, so, the bureaucracy, you know, they exactly, didn't want to hear the exactly. new ideas that you exactly, picked up in exactly, yeah. exactly. It was a new paradigm that we think of, of you know. New but, ways but the new paradigm people. was to be able to do seasonal forecasting or more generally a uh, uh, view of science that was somehow different? Yeah, view of science and changing things and uh, bring something new, let's say, bring something new. I asked for internship just as usually what people do when you finish it for an internship so people know you. Mm-hmm. But it was not, not so excited, you know, people not, were not interested, you know. And it was kind of frustrated uh, and 
you need to have some lobbying, some people to know in order to get a job. I see. I wasn't. I was not such a person <laughs> with the family that I come come from. So uh, I knew that reality, uh, and it was so hard. And living in the capital was also very difficult. Why? It's because it's expensive, or because it's yeah, expensive. You have, you have to. You, yeah, I don't have no family. You have to pay rent, and yeah. uh, you don't know if you can get a job or not. Mm. And at that time, I make up my mind and said, I can go back to the university again and study. You know, mm. I cannot get a job. I cannot get a letter of reference that is, mm-hmm. you know, high enough. Right. High by this, by the way, this is the story of many people all over the world. Why many people? Yeah, it was. School. Yeah, it was a sad, sad thing. <laughs> situation. Easy, easy it was, it was, yeah, it was very difficult. I remember those, those moments. Each time having a copy of your diploma, you know, if you know somebody that knows somebody, you go and give it to him and say, you know, this and that. And I have good grades. You know, I finished the first in my in my engineering degrees. So, yeah. And I have and I have a lot of letter of recommendation coming from the from the yeah. school. Because they thought, you know, with this, you know, I should get easily a job. Yeah. So I went back to the university and uh, there was a degree on uh, atmospheric science. After that, I came, go to the university in and Dakar. found a professor in Dakar and found a professor who was there doing chemistry, but chemistry based on dust. That was his specialty. But he was also interested in tropical meteorology. So I have a lab, actually. Chemistry on dust, you're saying? Dust, yeah. Dust that comes off the ground in the air, yeah. Yeah, in the air, but related to clouds and other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he was the one that was close to what I was doing. So Mm -hmm. I I go to meet him and discuss what I was doing and show him my grades and everything. And he was happy. He said, yeah, if you want to join, why not? You know, you can go come to the lab. and Mm -hmm. But you have to do a master because usually... People go to the master when they finish the master, they come to the lab because mm. you have to have a degree in order to be to do research. So I say, okay, I can I can do that. So I register for the for the master degree, and I started. And at that time, there was a collaboration with the University of France, Paris uh, Paris Douze, mm-hmm. uh, that's the name of the university, and they came to teach us because they didn't have those people to to give some some lectures. So they came to give some lecture. For mm-hmm. example, tropical meteorology was done by people in France and how to interpret data in radar, and hence in statistics, those kind of things. But it was great. They come for one week, they give the class all the week, and then after you prepare for two weeks and get the exam. So it's a collaborative program in Dakar with Paris Ex- as well. Exactly. Some- exactly. Collaborative program is uh, in Paris. Paris so I, I was there with different people, different friends, and we start doing it. So it was uh, broader because we were doing chemistry, you know, atmospheric science, and other. It was a broader master. Mm-hmm. not really oriented in atmospheric science. But the lab I was, was working more and more atmospheric science. There was people doing tropical meteorology, people doing uh, estimation of, of rainfall based on radar, radar, radar. Mm-hmm. and they have one radar actually managed by the, the lab. And there was most of people were working on, on radar. And mm-hmm. then uh, I wanted to do seasonal forecasting, uh, still doing what I, what I wanted to do. I start, of course, with radar estimation, you know, and afterwards they, they allow me to do because there's one professor in French interesting on that. And uh, actually, I start working on the relationship between rainfall and, and SST and also looking at uh, some diagnostic, some years when you have the wettest years and the driest years, what happened in the SST patterns, those kind of stuff. Yeah. So when I came in, I have already, uh, it was not a paper, but I have an internship, you know, report yeah. Yeah, on, on what I was doing, and I, and I show it to them. 
So I told them clearly I want to do the same thing. You know, they look I at see. it. It was quite interesting. They say, why not? And there was a professor in French also giving classes when he came in. It was a tropical meteorology professor. He was came in. He said, okay, yeah, yeah, why not? This is a, a nice thing. Why not? You know, you should do maybe I see. look so more. So you were a more it. mature, uh, you a, had more you, experience than a typical yes. student, and they were open to your. They exactly. could see this exactly. is interesting. Let him, let this smart student. Yes, yeah. but there was a drawback because uh, I didn't have a, I didn't have an advisor that was you know well acquainted with this subject. Yeah. So so I was left with myself so per se. But you know, it was a challenge. But it was quite fine. You know, at the end. Mm. So I was doing my master. I finished the classes. When we finished the classes, it took six months. After we go and now start looking at the lab. And fortunately for me, I got a scholarship from the government. So I start there and I finish. I was lucky enough when just I finish, because it, it take one year. Finish 90, the masters. Na, masters, 96, mm. 97, mm. quite, you know, one school year. And in 98, I got a job at the university. What happened is in 97, there was El Nino. Yeah. And people are not interested in Senegal because, you know, people are not interested. They didn't know what people were talking about. But I was doing seasonal forecasting. I know how El Nino was important. So yeah. I started reading a lot and start looking some animation. I remember going to the NOAA uh, website uh, and so on and so forth. At the lab, I gave a talk about El Nino. Yeah. And the director of the med service was aware of that, uh, that seminar, that I, kind of seminar on, on, on El Nino. Uh -huh. So... And then he asked me that, because the, the director was, was a PR. PR is a representative of WMO. So he was mm -hmm. you know, traveling a lot. So we knew about El Nino, people are talking yeah. about it. Yeah. So one day he called me and told me, you know, we have a World Medical Day that we have to celebrate. And this year I want to do quite something new. I mean, this El Nino, I learned a lot and I received a lot of you know, papers, you know, things that were sent by WMO. If you want, you can give a talk, a short talk about it. I say, mm. why not? I'm very excited to do that. And he say, okay. I drop by to the med service. We discuss, and it was a very open mind because they. But at the time, they changed director, by the way. So he mm. was a new guy, so he was very open mind. So he tell me, you know, we are young. I know, but I hope, I wish to have some funding to hire mm. you. I really like you. And the World Meteorological Day in uh, was in March, as usual, March '98. And he was organizing the hotel, you know, and the minister has to come because it was big things. So everybody come and it was very official. And then I have to talk about El Nino. And I have, I remember this animation of, you know, the CISO of, uh, of SST, you know, going back and mm -hmm. forth. And I show it and explain and talking about, you know, the Easterlies, how they connect and the connection mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And it was quite nice. And people really like it. And there was many questions. And my presentation took most of the time of the <laughs> celebration. So, so I, <laughs> I was quite, uh, you know, people really like it. And the director introduced me to the minister. The minister was there. And told me, he's a young guy. You, see, you saw him making the presentation, the young guy. But I want to hire him, but I didn't have, you know, enough money to hire him. Right. And the minister would say, you know, why not? You know, you can't. I know that you can't. He was joking and say, you know, if somebody go to retirement, why not do, do you hire him? So... That was one, one thing that I was get introduced to the, the minister. So first of all, this is a big moment when you're kind of discovered, right? I exactly. mean, I think we can see that this is going to be a lot of things are going to come out of this. But this is already March 98. So the El Nino has been going on since the previous uh, summer, if yeah. I remember mm -hmm. right. Had, had it affected the country? In other words, sometimes sure. El Nino events, you can have a bad rainy season. 
Was it already yeah. a bad uh, drought in 97? Yeah, 97. Yeah, 97. Was so, they, so not only your talk is interesting scientifically, but these guys are aware that this exactly. is no joke for the, for the country. This exactly. is having an impact. Okay, yeah. So exactly. it was probably exactly. making everybody pay more attention. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I got few interviews, you know, on the TV because the TV was there, of mm. course. Because mm. the Mets, it, it was a big event, you know, the celebration of WMO Day was a big event and it's uh, budgeted in the, in the Met service. So each mm. time they organize and they invite a lot of, you know, big young people. Mm. So the minister was there with his staff and every people working on metrology was there. And it was a big celebration with a good dinner and so on and mm. so forth. So when I finished it, people wanted to know more about this El Nino stuff mm. and uh, how it is related to the drought that we had and how it impacts Senegal in particular and the Sahel in general. Mm. So it was so, so great. And, uh, but the turning point is I met the minister we had in charge in the metrology and we, have yeah. to, we, we talk about employment and everything. Yeah. So when I finish, uh, I met again the director who come and you know thanks me a lot and saying, okay, we had a meeting with the minister and he was quite impressed. So maybe you should go and try to have a meeting with him and you know put your case because hiring people is you know decided at the upper level, especially with the yeah. engineer on right. Well, I think so anywhere I asked... in the world, anywhere in the world, <laughs> if the minister likes you, that's a good that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> So I get in the med service, it was much, much better. I have better salary. And actually, I was relieved because as I know my background, I wanted to help the family. There was one thing in my mind. I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to get anything. Just get a job and help my family was one thing. Now I'm hired in the med services. I'm an employee. And I came in uh, with new ideas, you know, and wanted to change things. The director was very, very supportive, supportive on that. And he used to give me, each time that he traveled and come back, he used to give me some, you know, some bulletin or whatever he collected and tell me, you have to read this, you have to read that, and so on and so forth. Mm. So I start looking at the data because they have a lot of data at the med services. Yeah. The other, you know, turning point was Akmat, you remember, the center? Yeah. In Niger, yeah. In Niger. So they was organizing a workshop on seasonal forecasting. And we should say ACMAP was a is a multinational is a entity. It's like Af an African Af African continental 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 African. center so on, on meteorology. Yes, yeah. All countries quite in Africa send people from time to time. Yeah, but they work with med services. So when I came in at the time, it was really interesting, and I met Mike Jury, a guy from South Africa. Neil Ward was there. There was some people from France, like Seron. Uh, there was people from UK Met Office also. We came in, and then uh, they was doing the training on mm. seasonal forecasting. But they was just showing more their model. What is their model impact of the Sahel, and so mm. and so forth. And Neil Ward was a person who was doing the statistical stuff. Mm. And there was a person called Roger Stern. This guy is a biometrician mm -hmm. from UK. And uh, he came, he was an old guy who came in. Mm. He was very, very open guy, very, very you know, nice. And we start talking about, I asked him always some question about things. And he started correcting me in the statistics, like in those fishing, overfitting I was doing. I was not aware of those kind of things. <laughs> yeah. He was saying, if you take many, pre many predictors, of course, you'll find a solution because this and that. So we give him the explanation. So it yeah, was yeah. so exciting with, with this guy, very exciting. So uh, we discuss a lot about the statistics and what we should do and so on and so forth. So he was a guy who was more oriented on statistics. 
And people coming from UK and middle France was more static on model, dynamical modeling that they had. Mm-hmm. So there was this nice discussion in 99 about those things. And I was asking more questions. And they realized, you know, I was in a, have a good level, you know, to, to follow. Yeah. So, and they, they asked that why I shouldn't be affiliated to Agmat. So to take the forecasting, the seasonal forecasting department. In and other words, to, to leave the, the Senegalese Med Service and work in ACMAT instead? Exactly, exactly, exactly. They wanted me to do that. And uh, everybody, you know, strongly suggests the director of ACMAT to do that. And the director was very open to that. Mm-hmm. He said, okay, why not, you know? And he wrote to my director and tell him he want to keep me there. And my director, of course, refused. Say, you know, we need him here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, it was in 99. And at that time, Peter Lamb was organizing a workshop on seasonal forecasting over the Atlantic basins, people who share the Atlantic basin, I mean, South America and Africa. Yeah. And I was invited. Mm. But before that, uh, when I went to the med service, Wasila Chow invited me to come to visit African desk in NOAA. So he told me you should come. Because in the US? I know, yeah. In the US, in DC, Washington, DC. Yeah. So I came to Washington, DC, my first time to travel in the United States. So I 99. came in, in I th- 99. Yeah, okay. 99, yes. I came in, came in 99, do two months period. It was great. You know, I was there and uh, there was, you know, very good people there. And I remember some papers and people doing the CCA because I, I knew only the EOF one. And when I came there... So just to translate for a minute for people who don't know, empirical orthogonal function is EOF. Yes, empirical, empirical orthogonal function. correlation analysis. So these are different statistical techniques that are used. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So the EOF one is... Yeah, you, you just try to synthesize what is the signal coming from the SST. But in the canonical correlation analysis, you try to find out when they coincide in time. When you have this mm-hmm. pattern, it always coincides, or usually coincide with such a pattern in the SST. It was much more interesting, but I worked with that with people in the at CPC. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they also, you know. Yeah, in the U.S.? In the U.S., so working with many people, and Wasila was very open to you know you can go to find anybody if you want. And he's he's from which country? I know he's from Senegal. He's from Senegal. Oh, he's from Senegal. I knew he's, he's from, from Senegal. somewhere in Africa, but I didn't. No, know no, he's no. originally from Senegal. So was he a well-known so, person back home? I mean, he, every you had known. Yeah, him yeah. I mean, people, yeah, yeah. Look at him because he was employee of the med service back in time. So uh, after he left, okay. yeah, yeah. So I did that, and then at that time. Pit Lam invited me to come to Oklahoma University. They say, mm. okay, as you are in the U.S., why can you come in the Oklahoma? I have a workshop on the mm. uh, Atlantic Basin's, you know, relationship with, uh, with mm. rainfall. So I say, okay, why not? So when I finished my two months, I changed my, extended my visa mm. and go back to Oklahoma. Mm. So Oklahoma at Norman, I don't know if you, if you, if you ever go there, one this was amazing. There, yeah. The university was amazed. I was really amazed. I was. Yeah. Did they already have that one big building with all the different? I mean, now there's this huge building with all the different NOAA labs. And yeah, that was already. They there. had. They, they had one. Yeah, and that so many radars like, out in the front, and all the you know they. You, you talk about Sims. Yeah, I guess that's. I can't remember where the Sims is. The building. When I was there, it was a few years ago, and it seemed like the building was pretty new. But it was very large. Yeah. Everything was in one place. All the different, they have several different NOAA laboratories, the Department of the University, and some exactly. other centers that are, and they have out front the many different um, trucks with radars on them and stuff because they do so much field work exactly. just out of exactly. the front yeah. door. So it looks like really a massive, sure. uh, yeah, yeah, it is an exciting yeah. place for sure. 
Yeah, very excited. I was amazed. I was amazed. When I came in the Norman, you know, as you know, Norman, you know, the university is so huge. I mean, mm. American universities are huge compared to what you have in Africa. So I was amazed to see that huge universities and mm. students over there. I was amazed. And I asked Pete Lamb, you know, because I come earlier because I was in the U.S. So I mm. leave, uh, I left earlier in D.C. to go to uh, So you had some Norman. extra time before the work? I have some extra time in, in Norman. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Pete used to invite me to the office or we can have lunch. Uh, Neil Ward was there also, so we have some time lunch with Neil Ward. And then one day I asked uh, Pete Lam, can I attend one class just to see how people teach so and forth. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he recommended me one people from Morocco with one student doing his PhD with him. And the guy took me on one class, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed how people was free, you know, people eating, you know, but you don't do that in Africa. <laughs> people sit the way they want. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I say, oh, very open mind, very nice, you know. <laughs> I was amazed. And I say, no, really, I, I really want to do something. I want to study in the U.S. That's where really the idea come from me. Mm, mm. But I, I forget to tell you, before I came in, I got married in 99. Okay. So for me, getting just married and going to do a study was, you know, something unheard of. And also, I got a job, you know, financially, I was fine. So I didn't want to... And Ahmad was one thing that wanted me. I was, you know, good in Africa. So I think that was enough for me. But when I came to the U.S., I realized, you know, I need to learn more, you know. Uh-huh. I was your wife with more. you on this trip? No, 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 no. The first trip, my wife was not with me. So I, I asked Pete Lam about, you know, if I want to study in the U.S., what does it take? He told me it's very expensive, you know. <laughs> I remember his first word, it's very expensive. Usually we pay for our student out our grant, so yeah. it's very expensive. But let's find out ways to do it through Akmat. If you can do it through Agmat, if it is something that Africa mm. want to have capacity building mm. uh, for, why not? Why not? Because you need it. Mm. But I have many, many questions. So I used to drop by Nilwood office and we talk about a few things on these papers. And I meet, met Hasten Rats. Mm. Hasten Rats came in to give a talk for the workshop. But mm. Hasten Rats, I knew him back in Algeria. I had his name in his paper. For me, he's a big, you know, he yeah. is. It, he is He's a very, famous old, old school climate yeah. yeah, exactly. But he was very easy guy, very approachable. You know, in Africa, when you are a big chunk, you know, it's quite a semi-god. So, mm. so I, I was amazed how those people are very, you know, very easy reaching. You're Lam saying the culture is less hierarchical somehow? I mean, people exactly. are more, exactly. senior people are more approachable? More approachable, more approachable. Theirs are quite different. You cannot, for example, you cannot go and just run by your advisor office and say, ask a question. You have to mm. ask for admission, you have to find appointments and so forth. Mm. And mm. if it's somebody high at the university, you cannot even sometimes approach him, this kind mm. of stuff. So I, I, I see that culture was, was amazing, you know. And, uh, you know, when you are in Africa, the way you see United States is the big building in New York, you know, uh, those kind of stuff, you know, that's the America you have in your, in your mind. <laughs> but I realized that education was, you know, important. Those people are really, the system is strong in education. And I discovered it more at Columbia. And it, I, I'll come back to, to, to that. So Oklahoma, after a few, few, few days, we started the, the training. Mm. It was, uh, there are some people from South America, people come from Africa. We started working and uh, realizing what is the relationship really and, Pit Lamb gives some few talks about his papers, about his relationship and uh, the relationship we found and uh, what is the dynamics behind. 
And one, one thing that rings the bell really at the time was statistic is one thing, but you need to find explanation. Mm. And that the workshop, I realized sometimes the dynamics is important. You need to explain things. It's not just... You, you to have explain the physical relationships. F- you know, physical relationships, The old yeah. school climatology is like you look at statistical relationships, exactly. how different, exactly. different aspects of the exactly. climate are related. But these guys are saying you need to have a physical understanding why they're related. Exactly. What is the like mechanism why? in the atmosphere? Exactly. Ocean. exactly. So it was so interesting to me and people were talking about the mechanism, how, how things work. Because, because back in time, I really... F- look at if the correlation or the cross-correlation is significant enough. That's what you look at. <laughs> if it's significant enough, you, know, you have a good model, and you have your model, and that's it. But here, as I will see, you have to diagnostic and to look at, really go back to the model and look at the physics, you know, the wind, the dynamics, so and so forth. And uh, that give me you know, appetite to, to, to dig more, because I, I, I realize I need to know more. And then uh, I remember Peter Lam saying the best thing to do is just through GCMs, you know, if you have a hypothesis saying that this SST impact, for example, the rainfall of Sahel, you have to isolate, to put everybody, everywhere climatology, and just to force, for example, with the SST changing, and to look at if you get the response that you need or not. So, so for GCM is a general circulation model, what we now call climate model, and you're saying you would, at, at that time we would do experiment, or even now we do experiments where we specify the sea surface temperature, which we believe is an exactly. important variable, and, and exactly. see if the 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 you know the, we're the phys- physically simulating the climate, and if you believe exactly. that there's a causal relationship between sea surface temperature and say Sahel rainfall or whatever, we do experiments in these models. Since we don't have a, a, a real laboratory, we put in the sea surface temperature into the model and see if you can see the atmosphere doing what you think it should do, and then you believe that the sea surface temperature pattern really exactly the, the rainfall. Yeah, I'm just translating. Was, for, we hope we might have a few listeners who don't know the science. So I just like to yeah, 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 maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, those things was very appealing to me, very exciting to me, mm. and I didn't, I didn't realize those things. You know, we need to to do that, and it seems to me, you know, make sense. A lot of make a lot of sense. And, so, so the model, uh, I, modeling, this kind of modeling was not part of your, uh, no, your no, my background so far, so far in Senegal. So far, so far in Senegal. So uh, before I go, of course, I copy a few data. It's usually SSTs that I really wanted. And uh, then uh, we have a few discussions. And before I left, I have a discussion with myself, Peter Lamb, and Neil Wood, and talking about uh, what's next. So Peter was very happy what I was doing. He was very happy and saying yeah. he's really supportive. And uh, that they move forward. He was saying that I have to improve my English. I ha- we have to find a grant. Mm. And the way he say Oklahoma was very expensive. And say mm. he wanna if you wanna do that way, you wanna ensure that I will serve for African purpose. Mm. But he, that was very encouraging. You say you have, I think you have the bug. You, we, ha- you have the guy. You know you, you, you can't do it. But uh, mm. you know mm. let's let's talk more about it. You know those kind of stuff. And then. Yeah. And Neil also was supportive and saying, that, yeah, why not? But uh, Neil was not a professor over there, so he didn't, he cannot, you know. He was a research Lambo, scientist or something. Research scientist, yeah. But Peter Lamb was, and Peter was saying, you know, why not? And actually, I knew more Peter Lamb than, than Neil Wood at the time, you know, more mm. Russian. But mm. Neil, we have few, you know, exchange of letter and so on and so forth. And I read a lot of these papers. And then after that, I, I went back in... Uh, in Senegal. Coming back to Senegal, you know, I was more interesting about research, studying, and so on and so forth. So Ahmad was always interesting. And we find the 
a way that I will go to Ahmad to do one year, mm-hmm. to work for Ahmad for one year. Mm-hmm. This is, and the director of Ahmad was a very good politician, you know, guy. He said to my director, this is, this, this is a contribution of Senegal. You know, mm. people contribute about money. Usually people got money say, you know, you have one guy that really can contribute. He's young. You know, why can't you bring him in Agmar? He will participate in the contribution of Senegal. Mm-hmm. Of course, my director didn't want too much say, you know, you have to stay in the country, so and so. I say, let me, let me go. So I, I went. My wife wanted so and say, you know, why not? We just made it. So we didn't have she a kid. Did, she did want to go to Nice. She did want to go. Yeah, yeah. So we went in I went first. I go first, you know establish myself and start mm. working and uh, and she came mm. at uh, at Ahmad. after three months IRI have a school on uh, regional modeling run by Neil Wood because at the time Neil Wood moved from uh, Oklahoma to, to IRI to the International Research Institute for Climate and Inter- Society it's now called at Columbia which was which was brand oh, yeah. new by the way at that time I think maybe the building wasn't even there yet at that time because I came in yeah. January 2000, and yeah. the building just opened around that time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this workshop, you know, was open uh, worldwide, especially for, I say, less developed country maybe, and was done but by it's at Ahmad, and Lich- Lich- No, no, it was at, at Columbia. I, I, oh, I see. Okay, okay. Uh, so you at, came at to Columbia at that time Lama. after three months. Yeah, and then uh, I was invited to come in. Mm-hmm. And to to learn about regional modeling, so I was so exciting. So I come, I came. It was for four months, I think, full four months. Learning. So I came in at, at Lamont. You know, the building was so nice, and uh, yeah, so I went to Colombia. I met you know few people, and uh, I talk about Neil Wood again about the idea to mm. doing a PhD. Yeah. And uh, at that time, uh, Antonio was a, was a director, I think. Antonio Duvino Mora, yeah, in the right, first was, days was of the IRI. You know, and IRI didn't have, my understanding didn't have full connection with the university at the time, you know, to have a student. Um, well, that's interesting. I mean, it, it was yeah. part of the university, of course, but yes, it was kind of, a, it was kind of separate from everything else in some ways, yeah. Yeah. So I went to this and meet Mia, Mia Leo, nice lady. And this Earth Environmental and, Science Department. Actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and met met her and discussed about her. And she was very open. She said, yeah, you should, you should, you should, Usman. And she encouraged you should talk to people at the department. And he told me a few names, you know, a few names, you nice people that you should talk to. And then, mm-hmm. and I talked to the head of the department at the time. And he told me the reality, Colombia is very competitive. <laughs> he yeah. told me it's very competitive. I'm pretty sure that if you want to only try to get here, it will be very difficult for you to get here. So, yeah. and he tell me, uh, you know, your best bet is to go through a professor that have already grant and maybe it makes things easy. Yeah. But, you know, discuss with IRI. And he tell me one thing at the end, he tell me it would be great to have an African in our department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't have African in yeah. our department. We haven't yeah. had many even since. I mean, I don't know. If yeah. We've had any. yeah. <laughs> That's what he said to me, you know. And then, you know, it was very nice to meet the head of the department. And uh, I took a few classes, you know, the... QMDA, quantitative methods in data analysis. That's, my, that's what I, you know, yeah. I knew the best. So I was yeah. sitting in. Uh, Just the during these was, four months, you mean you took the class? Yeah, these are four months. There were some classes going on, I and see. I would ask it, you know, if I can sit in on classes. Yeah, I, yeah. I sat. Yeah. And then uh, that was about it. After four months, you know, I left. I go back to Ahmad, 
and uh, we have few more computers and uh, I start now training people on uh, how to do some statistics, the few things, you know, the basic things, how to analyze data and and few things. But I was alone per se because, you know, nobody talked to on the research things that was interesting to me. But I keep no, nobody the, who nobody to talk to on the research. Interesting team. research. I mean, we interesting research. Nobody in who research. knew who was interested yeah. in the same things as you were had the same exactly uh, exactly. Background. It was a more op- op- operational center. So, yeah. uh, but I kept the, the link with Neil Ward, with Pete Lamb, you know, and few people at IRI. Ahmad was very exciting to, to have me on the on a PhD program because there was they like the Ahmad liked the idea of you going over. Yeah, exactly. The because they have these African centers and they think they need to have expert on that. And people used to tell them, yeah, you need to have expert. It's really missing capacity building. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I have IRI invited me to come as a scientific visiting, something like that. It was a position. Yeah. So that was for one year, I think. Yeah. So I come. I came in uh, 2002, I guess. Yeah, 2002, 2003. Yeah. I came with the J1 visa as a visiting scientist uh, and working with Neil Ward of looking at the stats of, of few relationships with the Sahel and uh, doing more training on uh, CPT. At the time, the climate prediction tools was developed by Simon and uh, by Simon Mason, and uh, it was mostly used because very you know very convenient to use and. I like it a lot, you know. I knew it very well also because each time I have problem, I ask Simon and so and so forth. So whenever they have training in Africa, usually I go to do the, the training, mm. uh, uh, to do the training, statistical training. So and, you're in. Uh, you're so you so wait. So you got the job at IRI. You come for a year, but then the IRI is sending people to Africa to do various training with Metz. Yes, yeah, 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 there, yeah. So, they, so you kept going back. Back and yeah, forth. Yeah, I kept going back. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, yeah, because they do capacity building on the outlook forum, the seasonal forecasting. Yeah. So as African, you know, I, I used to go in, in Ethiopia a lot. In uh, of course in Ahmad, uh, I mm. went in Central Africa. Also, I I mm. went few, and uh, it was quite nice. And and if they have visitors also coming in, you know, I start you know working with them on those few things, yeah. getting them started, just per se. And I get more and more acquainted with the data library also, that I really like it a lot, you know, data yeah. library. So I used to go on campus from time to time, and I, I quite sit in, in the full QMDA class. Mm-hmm. I f- sit in also with uh, tropical oceanography class also. Was mm-hmm. that uh, taught by Kane? Kane, yeah, Mark Kane, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mark Kane, yeah, it was Kane, yeah, Mark Kane. Then. Mm-hmm. After after one year, you know, I uh, I did I did another year <laughs> stay at at, mm-hmm. at IRI, and that time I wanted really to be uh, to be at, at at Columbia. And Steve Zibiak was now the new director, I guess at the time. Yeah, Zibiak became the director. And after then Mora left. Yeah, I didn't know what is the arrangement they had with uh, with this department of environment science, but yeah. uh, I quite get ex- accepted somehow. <laughs> I can tell you, you know, I was on the admissions committee at that time. So okay. I kind of knew who you were, and uh, I remember seeing your file and having discussions with Mia and the, about it. And it, it was interesting because it was like, oh, who is this guy? You know, the universities <laughs> you came from in Algeria and in Senegal, you know, we never had a student from there. So we didn't really know how to. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we said, OK, these guys at IRI like him. He must be OK. So 
<laughs> so, <laughs> and I, I think I remember there was, you know, the D's at that time had, you had to have taken certain courses before you come. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't taken them, you can still get in, but it's called a deficiency. And you have to take mm -hmm. it again. Like if you haven't had chemistry, you have to take chemistry. And somehow you had had those subjects, but mm -hmm. they didn't know how to really tell if it was the right thing. It was in French and they didn't, you know, I, I just remember <laughs> in the end, we just, we made it okay. But I remember we had to have some, we had to explain things to the administration or something. It, it took some, you know, you, you, I was very much aware of your case because it was a little, oh, you know, okay. it was just on you. You know, we do, we, as I say, we never had a student from those, from those places, but we could tell that, you know, IRI had no special agreement except that we know those guys, you know, we knew the work mm. they were doing and then we thought, okay, if he's working with them and he can do it, it must be okay. So let's, you know, and as I say, it, <laughs> what, what the department chair was told you is true. We had almost I don't know if I don't don't remember another student from Africa before that. So from any mm -hmm. you know any country, maybe if we had, I don't I don't remember. So everybody thought, oh, this must be a <laughs> this is, <laughs> must be a good a good opportunity to get a good student from someplace we don't usually get. So anyway, that's it was an unusual way to get there. You know, you kind of yeah, kept coming back yeah. and back and sticking around, and eventually yeah, exactly. You know, uh, exactly. we were able exactly. to do it. Yeah. So where were you living when you were a graduate student? Were you living in? I was living one sixty third and Broadway. One sixty third, okay. Yeah. Right. In the big Spanish area, you know. Yeah, Washington yeah, yeah, Heights. yeah. Right, because Washington it is Heights. a big uh, West African neighborhood down further exactly. south. Exactly. But you were you're living a little exactly. bit uh, a little bit north of there, okay. A little bit north. You're living near the hospital, far. actually. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Very close to the hospital. Yeah, Presbyterian hospital. So I used to go to the community, and you know hanging around, working with people, and and I was quite the one who was educated in the American dialect, because people were doing either taxi driver or little work and so on and so forth. So they didn't know about even what uh, United, the U.S. system is offering to them. And also they always re running with problems with, you know, how, how did you? I mean, US. so how did you get to know everyone? Is it in the? Is it in the? In the mosque or in the? I mean, yeah, most people. Most people yeah, the connection got to the mosque when I came to the mosque to pray one day. I found people coming from Senegal speaking the same language. So we just, yeah. you know, it, it, it gets smooth. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about it. Yeah, we need to meet more. And afterward, also, I went to African restaurant. And my wife, uh, we used to go to buy from African food also. You know, yeah. that special store. That's how you met people. On also, 116th I like, uh, Street or on? 116th Street, yeah, yeah exactly. That's the big and also, I, go, I used to... Yeah, exactly. I used to go to 125th also to see Africans selling in the street, you yeah. know, talking to people, discussing yeah. with them, so and so forth. And so, did, remind me, I was your to... first, did you first have your first child in New York or you came already with children? Yeah, I came with my first child in New York, yeah. So all your kids are U.S. citizens? Four of my kids are U.S. citizens, four. Oh, you have more now. How, wait, how many kids do you have now? I have two girls and uh -huh. five boys. Oh my gosh. <laughs> African family. I know you had four when you left. I didn't realize you have more now. Wow. Yeah, I have more now. Yeah. That's very exciting. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we'll come back yeah, to that later. But so, okay. So you're doing your graduate degree and you're hanging out in the, in the, uh, yeah, Harlem community in, in New York. Yeah. It was so exciting to be in the community, part of the community, doing a lot of things, having a lot of responsibilities, of course. And anything I was doing, you know, advising people sometimes, especially the kids who was born here, I was thinking, you should go to school, you should go. And people didn't have somebody to talk to them at that level, you know. If you are a taxi driver or selling the street, telling your kids to go to school, you know, you have nobody to mm. look up to. And as they know, Columbia is a big university, so sometimes they invite me at home to talk to the kids, you know, you need to yeah. go to 
Yeah. To go and describe all the different things you were you were telling me that you did. You were translating. You were working. Yeah. Usually they have some papers. Yeah. Yeah. Usually they have papers coming from immigration. Usually immigration sends them a few things, and they didn't know. They asked me to come to translate. So they call me on and tell me, you know, I have you know papers coming from immigration. I don't know what does it mean. Can you come to help? So mm-hmm. I usually come and and learn and translate, you know, and other things. You know, when they do applications, they want me to fill out fill in the application. Mm-hmm. Sometimes taxi drivers have problem go to court, you know, when you have accident or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they want me to tell them to explain them more. So one thing I was doing. Education was something very important, appealing to me. I mean, I don't know this, the U.S. system. That's really what I what I learned is you know education is very important, and people mm-hmm. need to get education. It's not just getting money, but getting education first. And education is really the basis. So I want to encourage you know kids usually you know in the mosque, in outside you know you need you need you know to, to start going to school. So you kind of became and, known as a. It, kind of advisor in the neighborhood to many, many people because of your education, because of your exactly. connection to Senegal, as well as your status in the U.S. as a, as a you know, your knowledge of language. You're kind of doing a lot of things for a lot of people and you're kind of an important yeah. person. Yeah. Any, any, yeah, anything that I can serve, you know, I, I will just do it to, to, to help out. It was another community with their own problems, you know, that mm. they are facing in this country. You know, immigration was the first one because they wanted to stay here to ensure that they can get money, yeah. uh, so and so forth. But I was more advising them, you need to get into the society. You know, if you have uh, papers is good, but also in integrating society because America has a lot of things to, to offer. And other communities are just, you know, you know, getting the education, getting the right things and be part of the society, you know, yeah. and so and so forth. But that was, you know, one thing in, uh, in New York very interesting and part of my life uh, as well. And then we used to do a lot of gathering, you know, each required two weeks, each other two weeks. We used to get together, you know, talk about nothing, talk about the country, talking about a lot of things. You know, Wait, every two weeks do you do what? A gathering, you know, get together. Oh, just some, right, every two weeks the gathering of people in the, in the community? From Senegal, from Senegal in New York, get together mm-hmm. and talk at about... At someone's you know, home have, or at... Or yeah, someone home, having a meal, you know, after discussing about, you know, a lot of problems mm-hmm. that we face. And also, if somebody is in trouble in the in the community, we want to collect some money and help him. And we do a mm-hmm. lot. Either you cannot pay your rent, usually it's rent, rental stuff, you know, or some people is kicking out of your apartment, or some people are just arriving because mm-hmm. New York is quite the gate from Africa. So you have new yeah. kids coming in and they want to settle in. So we need to, to help mm-hmm. them either, you know. Uh, yeah. To have them, you know, accommodate them for 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 few months and let them go. And there, I always insist when they have a school diploma to try to to go to the university. They try, they try sometimes, but it's very hard. You have to pay for school, and sometimes they prefer just to work and send money back home because you know they want to solve problems. And so, so we always get together and you know do social stuff usually. You know, helping people who are in difficulty. Sometimes, you know. Yeah. Uh, people, some people pass away, and we need to, to send back the course in Africa because we need what they want. Mm. Sometimes there are some family problems, you know, people get divorced or whatever, you yeah. know, because it's a different environment. We need always to, to talk to people, so and so forth. Yeah. So it's jumping ahead a little bit, but I, I want to give my personal memory about this because, you know, at this time, I mean, I knew you, I mean, by the, by this time when mm-hmm. you were a graduate student, you know, you took yeah, my classes, yeah. and at some point, yeah, we yeah. started talking about research a lot. But Although, though, as I say there, you know, it was a little unusual because we don't have too many students from Africa, but 
you know, but basically you're, you're a graduate student like the others. And I didn't really think about, you know, I didn't know much about your life. Mm. But I remember when you had your thesis defense. So this is now a couple of years later when you finished your PhD. It was unbelievable. It was like I never saw a thesis defense like this in my life because really? so many <laughs> people came, you know, mm. obviously people from the neighborhood, many mm. of them wearing what I assume were traditional Senegalese clothes. I mean, very colorful. They brought so much food and it was like this. I hadn't known, you know, there's this huge community of people that was so proud of you, you know, that, that cared about you so much. And, and it was like a really, really big deal, you know, that usually somebody has a thesis defense, you know, maybe their parents come or their brother or their sister, you know, the other graduate students come, but this was like, you could tell this was a major event for a large group of people. And I just hadn't appreciated that, you know, until that, <laughs> until that time. Yeah. And it was really, really, I, even before or since, I've never seen another PhD defense like that. It was very inspiring. You know, it really was. Yeah, yeah, that was how I was connected to the community. And I can tell you, Adam, if it was on the main campus, you can see more people coming in. Because yeah, they have to right. It was at Le Mans. Yeah. Way, all, yeah, they had to get all the way out to many, the suburbs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Many people didn't come because you know it was that at Le Mans. Yeah. And this shows also. I mean, I'm jumping the gun. When I finished my PhD, I got now my PhD. I start thinking, of course, what is my future? What to do? Of course, I remember I was always connected to Africa and think I have to give back the little I know. Yeah. But when I came in the U.S., few things are changing now. I'm part of a community. You know, yeah. I have four kids here. My wife gets to this life she likes a lot. You know, yeah. also if I have few connection for getting a postdoc, maybe uh, I thought you know I will make the difference in Africa than here. I realize you know yeah. here people are really very good researchers doing a lot of things. You know, yeah. more sophisticated. Yeah, but you know, I, but yeah. I was really surprised. I mean, I you could have had a career here if you wanted one. You know. So I, I was watching you at that time thinking, what is this guy going to do? Because you were talking about maybe I'll go back. And I thought, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a, it was obvious that it was a big decision, you know. It, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, and your I kids are Americans from... at this point, right? Your oldest must have been old yes. enough to. How He's old was your oldest now. child at this? No, but 16. at that time. Oh, that time uh, he was six years old, I think. Also, yeah, okay, so still pretty young, but old enough to understand, you know, to know where he lives and... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so uh, I got a job offer from IRI, of course. When I finished, uh, Steve and Caroline, we got to talk and tell me, you know, we are doing a lot of stuff in, in Africa. You are our first, you know, PhD, we are graduated, you know the system very well. Uh, you know a few stuff that you can train uh, if you want to stay, you know, we can make mm. an offer. And uh, so there was few offers to tell uh, that. So, but in my mind, you know, I was thinking go back. Uh, and I talked few people at the at the med service. They told me, you know, you are gone for a long time. I mean, don't think to come back here. Things are the same. <laughs> so stay in the US. So that was the, the well, thing that I got. Well, in, in other words, they're saying for your own good. I mean, yeah, for my I mean, own good. Yeah, surely they would have liked to have you back, but. Yeah. yeah, but they say, you know, things are so messed up here in this country, political-wise and things. And, I, and, and we know you, you know, you want to study, you want to do something, you know. And uh, after I have a talk also with Neil Wood, with uh, Jim Hansen, I ask Jim and uh, I want to go back. But things is, if I can get a grant, 
So the worst scenario, at least I can do what I want. Because I think we study the onset of the rainfall. We have things that we do in the, in the seasonal forecasting, which seems to be a breakthrough. I would like to test it if it's just statistical, but in reality, how it, how it translates into community. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, I made up my mind and people knew that that's what I want. I wanted to go. IRI proposed me, you know, if you want to go back, we can also take your affiliated, you know, but you work for IRI. I say I want to go back to the med service first and then and to see what is next. So it was a difficult situation, mm. especially for the African communities, because, mm. you know, we fought a lot for the kids. We are, you know, doing a lot of things. And if you don't pay attention, kids will go to drug or get to other things because they, they live in a very difficult neighborhood. So we you're not just talking about your very... kids. You're talking about the, all no, the no, 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 no. My kid wasn't at, 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 at the stage. I'm talking about the community, yes. Yeah, yeah. Kids that were seeing more and more going to jail, you know, starting, yeah. you know, to to follow the black communities and so on and so forth. So we are thinking to make up their mind to tell the kid to go to school, this and that. Mm. And uh, all those things, you know, we invest, you know. And also, I like New York a lot. I get used to it. You know, eight years in New York, you know, I know how to find myself. Yeah, you know, I, what, what I hadn't quite appreciated, again, because I didn't know as much about your, about all this aspect of your life, although I kind of got a glimpse of it at your defense, I could understand from a sort of distant, you know, point of view. It's not my, you know, obviously I've lived in one, you know, the United States my whole life, but I could, I could kind of understand the, the tension of, you know, do you go back home where things will be more difficult, but you can make maybe a bigger contribution and it's your home and all that, or you do stay in the U.S. where, you know, it's a little, the professional things are maybe a little easier, but on the other hand, you, but it wasn't just a choice between U.S. and Senegal. It was a choice between Senegal and the Senegalese community here, right? Exactly. You're choosing exactly. two different Senegalese communities. It's not so simple as just two countries, right? I, I didn't yes. quite yes. grasp that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other yeah, words, you yeah, can't. Yeah. You were kind of leaving home either way, in some sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it was it was difficult for the communities. You know, it was kind of a choice, and the choice always have some you know some pro and cons. You know, and mm-hmm. you know. So the decision was made uh, going back to Senegal, and I went back. Arriving, you know, I find quite the same thing at the, at the, at the med services. But now one thing, you know, uh, the director asking me, you know, you came in now, you have your PhD doctorate. And in the French system, you know, in the hierarchy, the responsibility depends on your diploma. Yeah. So uh, there was one thing we needed to, you know, to discuss about. And I told him, no, I, I came with my PhD, I want to do more research. Maybe if I have free time to go to the university from time to time, be good for me, and also to go fit field works. He say, fine, you know, that's fine. If you're gonna do that, I don't mind. So, uh, and there was this climate change, agriculture, and food security program that just started, and uh, I got a grant there for ten thousand dollar US dollar just uh, to work with communities and to see now how to do, how to make sense or to make usable our, our seasonal forecast or onset, onset stuff. A grant from, it was another, from, the, from the government, from the Senegalese government? Yeah, no, the 10,000, I got it from SICAF, from Climate Change Agriculture Food Security, which is a... Which is some kind of international right? thing? Or? Yeah, it was an international framework, yeah. That I see, okay. Which is a CGR you know, system. Right, so you, got a, so you got a grant to do your own... Yeah. research on communicating with farmers uh, exactly to and then it was the a t- 
Exactly. It was a turning point now. And uh, because uh, my goal was when I came back to publish whatever I had done in my PhD. That was the goal with Neil when we were discussed. Yeah. But when I arrived, there was too much challenging thing in the social and so on and so forth. After that, I started doing field work. I started, you know, going, communicating to farmers, interesting to know why they make a decision. Not just related to climate in general, in, but in general, why they decide, decided to plant, why they decided to buy this kind of crop and not the other kind of crop, why they decide, you know, to remove the shrubs, you know, in the field, you know, why they decide to... Any, any, any question, they tell me a lot of things, you know, sometimes it's mostly economical, but sometimes it's really climate-related. They can tell you after the first rain or when we see the wind changing direction, I mean, the monsoon is coming. That's the way they define the monsoon, interesting mm. enough. They say when the wind starts changing direction, because mm. uh, the trade wind as in north, you know, because the ITCC is further south, and when the ITCC starts going north in the, in the Sahel, now the wind now are completely coming from the south and south, uh, southwesterlies. Right. So uh, they say when the wind starts changing, we start preparing now, knowing that the season is, will start soon. And then when the first rain is coming, we look at if the soil is moist enough, and then we start planting the crop. And the way they do it is interesting. They usually start with millet, because millet is cheaper. And with one kilogram of millet, you can acquire do half hectare. You know, maize is more is uh, expensive, more expensive, uh, and peanuts is more expensive. They do it later on when really the season is is, is established. So I start realizing and learning more Wait, about. So, so let me let me make sure I understand. So the rainy season is a, is what three months long or it's four months long. Four, four months, months long. July, August, September. Yeah. And that's enough time to go through several different crops. Yeah, they def- they develop few strategies. Like from time ta- sometimes the the rain you have May few rains. June few rains, but the, the season established really in, in, in July. So they do some what they call dry planting. Mm. So what they do, they know that millets is so resistant for drought, for example. So what they do when they start in July and they have the first rain is really good enough and the soil is moist enough, they plant mm. millet. But there are crops now, you know, in the, in the physiology, they develop few crops, they, varieties, they are very, very short. Now, they have, uh, for example, peanuts that go 60 days. Mm. They have, uh, as they do 120 days and so forth. So mm. in three months, you can, if the rainy season is, is okay, is well, you know, distributed in time, mm. you can really grow those things. And uh, mm. so I start asking those questions to see that how my seasonal forecasting or my climate information system will make sense to them. We start discussing. And also I realize they have also indigenous knowledge. Yeah. So they use kind of forecasts as they do, you know, based on, you know, what they have, you know, learned from their parents. Or just they look at the environment around them. And if the environment changes, because what's happened when humidity, you know, starts, you know, picking up and temperature increase, most of the plants start going in different phase, like blooming or so and so forth. So they make a relationship by just looking at years and years and years that, you know, this kind of sign, if you see it in the environment, it translates into something is, is uh, happening. Mm. They look at birds, they look at net, nets of birds, the way that the birds, birds travel from one direction to another. They look at blooming of some, you know, varieties like baobab. They look mm. at, at uh, you know, flowering. They look at, at uh, leaves starting, you know, and they look at different things, you know, and mm. it's interesting. So quite, I was so amazed 
look at how they, they make the relation. Even clouds, you know, mm. they can tell you is convective clouds and another cloud. Like these clouds can give rain, these clouds mm. cannot give rain. And they look at, the, they know the direction of the monsoon. They can say, if you look at Easterlies, usually, you know, if cloud come from Easterlies, you can go to, 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 the field, to the farm because it's not mm. raining. But if you see clouds coming from Southwest, be careful, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rain. So it's kind of stuff. So we start really developing a relationship, a trust per se. So I used to go and collect that information. And now when I have a good vision, the decision making, you know, through the, through the season, I start seeing what kind of information they see. And they, they look at for many information. Sometimes now casting is enough because uh, they just want to save their life because those clouds usually come with thunderstorm and sometimes... Now, now casting people. means forecasting yeah, just now, for a few now hours. Casting. Yeah, a few hours, yeah, a few hours, more, less than six hours. Sometimes they need just weather, daily forecast for mm. one to two days until a week. Sometimes mm. they go more, they need really to plan because they, they don't have the means, they need to plan for it. So you have a 10 to 20 days. Sometimes they need seasonal forecasting, especially at the beginning of the season. You know, they need to know what kind of crop to choose because if you have millets, as I said, you have millets, they can be six days, millets, they can 120 days, so and so forth. So which millet to pick up depending but, on seasonal forecasting? But was the was the Met Service doing seasonal forecasting already at this time? No. If it was Akmat, we would do the seasonal forecasting for the whole sale. I see. But the farmers yeah. would see it. They got those forecasts. Maybe no, before. they didn't. They didn't. They, they didn't. Got it. You know, they, they, they didn't. The Met Service, when they got those forecasts, they just sent it to the government. That was about it. So, there so was the, not a service. So the farmers didn't service. know yet that this exists. Yes. They don't know yet. Even, they, even though I have to recognize there was few experiments of people who were using piloting. On, on some site, but it was not a service that they offer. Mm. So when I was trying to do, uh, knowing all those things and knowing what kind of information they want, so my goal now is to provide those information. So I, I start uh, working with them, providing few climate information like weather forecasting, seasonal forecasting, and the onset is going to be delayed or you know, uh, early onset. We did it for one year. It was quite, you know, amazing, quite amazing. So you go and talk to farmers and then you make these interdisciplinary working groups, consult with many different stakeholders, many different kinds of experts in different fields and users. And then you connect to the weather service to, to get them to, you know, understand how this kind of thing is useful to make the, the forecast more usable, that you need to have a two-way mm -hmm. communication with the user. I mean, this is... Not an easy thing to do, and I'm kind of, you know, you've told me about this as we've communicated over the years. You know, I've had a, I've had some knowledge of what you're doing, but not all the details. But I, but hearing it now, you know, it's kind of remarkable that you knew how to do this. I mean, I think if someone were gonna, you know, if I were to write a proposal to the U.S. government to try to do something like this here, I would need to have social scientists, you know, who know how yes. to. Who, who do this? I would need to have, you know, some kind of, this is usable science, you know, engaging with stakeholders. It's, I, I know from, I have much, much less experience mm -hmm. than you in trying to work with users, but I have some, and I know it's not easy. It's a very different set of skills from, mm -hmm. you know, from science, right? So I'm wondering, first of all, how you knew how to do this and how you had the confidence to know that you knew how to do it. And I'm wondering, you know, if part of it was, your training at IRI that you had gone and done many exactly. kind of trainings with different groups, both when mm. with yourself in the learning role and also in the teaching role, uh, you know, later, but also mm. maybe your experience in the community in New York. I mean, you, what you're really kind of doing here is kind of a community organizing 
And even to find mm -hmm. the right people, I mean, even to, as you're describing, even knowing how to get in touch with everybody and get them to show up. And even that is not easy, you know, I'm sure. And mm -hmm. so it's really mm -hmm. remarkable. And I'm, I'm just wondering if you can say a little bit more about how, about that. First of all, how you knew how to do it, how you, how you mm -hmm. planned it, and, and how you had the confidence to believe that you could do it. I mean, how did, how, where did this come from? I mean, the, the motivation why I wanted to do so and to go to this route, I mean, it started both when I started working in these communities back in New York. Back in New York, it was social science. I have nothing to do, you know, with what I was doing at Columbia. So I started working with people, doing what, uh, what they do, listening to people, talking about their problems here and there. So it actually ignites something on you more, you know, more social and, uh, and so and so forth. So. And at IRI, people were starting, starting, you know, those questions about, you know, the usefulness of the of what what they was doing. And IRI was starting doing things already with some countries and thinking about useful, usable, you know, beyond the science how to do people. And you know, IRI have some some social people also. Yeah, yeah, sure. People. Yeah. yeah so I when they was doing those presentation, those idea came came in my mind. And also as an African, you know, I was born in a in a countryside, you know, I, I know those difficulties and people face and so on and so forth. Was your and family uh, so, a farmers? Did you? No, no, not farmers. No, no. But I have some relatives, let's say, not, mm. you know, close family. There was farmers. And I knew when there was drought, how it affected people and so on mm. and so forth. Mm. So when I came back and uh, knowing this seasonal forecasting and put it into perspective, saying if people knew what they will do. And as you, t as you said, it, uh, when I was some training, and there was sometimes some stakeholders who came from farmers, big farmers organization, and mm. talking about you know what kind of information they need and how they make their decision in so forth. So mm. when I came back in uh, in, in Senegal, I uh, I start thinking of it. You know, I was in Dakar; it was not the right place to do it. But uh, we have few what they call uh, revolving workshops. They call it when we have the seasonal forecast sometimes. We go to one site and explain to people what the seasonal forecasting is. Mm -hmm. So we will meet some people working at the agriculture department. So I knew few people, you know, working at the agriculture department. So I will start discussing with them how they was well connected in the in the community mm -hmm. and what kind of work they do. So there was one guy. I think uh, I send you the the link that we did together. It's called SEC. It was a guy who was an extension, farmer's extension, working for mm. the government at the local level. So mm. it was a guy for the government giving, you know, the, seed, the, the seeds, giving also uh, the fertilizer to farmers and so on. So he was well connected to farmers. Mm. So when I went to the field the first time, I, I, I have a lot of discussion with, them, with him saying, mm. what I'm doing is just possible. Can, can we do it? Can, can we do it? Mm. Can I do just some kind of, you know, survey and get the data and go back to Dakar and analyze it. But I wanna I want something different. I want to work mm. with actual farmers, discussing with them, look at their mm. problems, you know, so and so forth. So we like the idea. We're saying, you know, this is a way to do it. You know, researchers should, you know, should do it. You know, I say, okay, let's do it. I say, okay, I have few grants and uh, it's not much, but we can just start with one workshop. Mm. And what really saved me at the workshop, I I invite few people that I know working on this question, like one guy from agriculture in, in Dhaka department, one guy as a research institute in uh, agriculture also, those guys would, develop, would, would try to have new seeds, more resistant to drought and so on and so forth. 
And I have people working at the NGO having this background. So I have few people coming with me. The first workshop we did, but I set the rules. You know, I remember we was in the same hotel. I mean, and I told them, me, I'm coming to learn more. You know, the research, I know it very well. You know, I know what we are doing. But we are not here to tell farmers what to do, but to listen to farmers. But it, it was quite, you know, <laughs> a big discussion. And they say, we know what farmers know. We, we know, we know. I say, no, 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 it's different. Me, I know few, but I, I want to know exactly what the farmers are doing. Mm. So when we came here, I switched the, you know, the way we sit. Usually we sit there and the farmers are on this other side and always we ask questions and so on and so forth. Mm. I say, let's, let's farmers, you know, start the discussion and tell us what they need, what problems they face and so on and so forth. They say it will be difficult, you will not find what you want. I say, you know, I set the rules, that's, that's the way it is. That was a, a difficult, you know, discussion that we have. You know, as researchers, you know, people like to publish papers or whatever, you know, yeah. they think they have nothing much to learn from farmers. So I set the rules, I was, you know, so stringent onto that. So they say, okay, let's try it. So somehow, you, day, say, somehow you had the insight to try to break down what was the expected hierarchy of the thing to, to come exactly, in, that you're exactly. open-minded and the farmers are going to teach you. Exactly, exactly. And I, and, I, and I believe in that. I believe farmers have something to, to teach us. So I make it very, very easy and very, very approachable to farmers because, you know, they think uh, people coming from Dakar, having these uh, things and that, you know, we need more to listen to them than they listen to us. So I say we are not doing that. We are here to listen to you. We have problem and try to solve problem. And I said it at the beginning, we are not sure if we can solve problem or not, but at yeah. least we listen. And to say what we can do. Right, right. So I didn't promise anything. And then, uh, you know, and I tell you, you don't have any talk. I don't have any presentation. Those guys have any presentation. Nobody can present, will present. You will be presenting. So I wanted to, to, to listen to everybody, listen to the woman. So the first day, I make it open. Everybody say, of course, they talk about education. They talk about access to healthcare. But yeah. I say, that's fine. Talk about anything that you want. So they talk about anything, we listen, people talk about farming, so on and so forth. At the afternoon, I change the debate a little bit and say, okay, now I will, more the rules, more stringent. I will talk about only farming. Yeah. And you tell me in your farming, how do you make a decision and why? Any decision you make, then why? Anything is, you know, fair game. Tell me what. Yeah. what, what. Yeah. And also, I wanted to hear about women. So I separate and divide into group. There was a woman group, men group, and mixed men and women. Because uh -huh. usually women doesn't talk too much when they're, you know, with men. That's how the society uh -huh. is. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. I knew about that. So I separated into women group and they have women uh -huh. reporter and so on and so forth. So I asked exactly the same question. And people start documenting and giving good, nice drawing of what they do, you know, what kind of planting, what kind of problems they face. You know, they talk about subsidizing, their problems they have political, anything. And afterward, I, I came in and they say, okay, let's report back. And you write it on the, on the board. And I start looking at what is climate-related and what is not climate-related. Yeah. And what is climate-related, I say, if this you knew up front, the season is going to be wet, will you do things differently? Yeah. In somehow, let's say, any, any, any way. We don't talk yeah. about forecasting. Let's talk about you knew that the season is going to be wet. Will we do something differently? Yeah. They say, of course, if you knew the season is going to be wet, and what will you do differently? And, they, and we start learning a lot. You know, they have the strategy of adaptation. They have it. They know what to do in the wet season, what in the dry season, so and so forth. So we learn a lot. We write everything down. Yeah. And uh, at the end, the last day, so I came in and explained to them, we are a team. Normally for the government, we should help you. We should. 
But now we are trying to build something, trying to see that if it works or not. We have something called, you know, a forecast. We know that you do forecast in your in your culture. We will try to bring it and bring as well your forecast and trying to put it side by side mm-hmm. and to see. And you will tell us if the forecast was well defined, so and so forth. So on, and we discuss a lot about that. And we start discussing about the format of the forecast. What kind of format they want to get it? You know, mm-hmm. a drawing or a message or so on. And they start, you know, mm-hmm. talking. And the first one was they say. Each time we meet here in the in Kafrin, Kafrin was actually the site, mm. and we come here to, to pick up whatever. So if the information is here, we always get it. Mm. And someone say, why not the community radio? We have here a community radio, and we didn't have anything to announce. We greet in the community radio. I say that's mm. good. I didn't know about that about it. And uh, some people, you know, define. You know, we know some people in the society. They will convey always the information. Some mm. people are say the marketplace. Mm. Each day we go to the marketplace. Why can we so and so forth? Some was doable, some was not. So we start with what is doable, like the community radio, mm. the guys appointed in Kafrin, so and so forth. So we have a wealth of things, you know, that we gather and can use. It was challenging because, as you know, my background was climate. Something was really socially related. Uh, some others was communication. Communication is very important in this in, 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 in this yeah. sense. So I try to find out people, a group, a team that are more acquainted with those, those science. There was not social science per se, but they work at the NGO. For example, the lady used to work at the NGO yeah. and know more about it. So we came with a team. That's how I, uh, you know, I get into it. And now. I get a contact, a point of contact at local level. The guy was sick. You can, you can see mm. the discussion that we had. And the guy was responsible to choose for me the different farmers. But I tell him what kind of farmers I want. Mm. I tell him, if you if in the same area, because I know the rainfall distribution, the high zone, I tell him, in this area, I need two communities, but only one community will be involved. Because I need at the end to evaluate if the other communities, you know, was getting the same yield. So it's a control group of one, one group, control group, yeah, exactly. and the other doesn't. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Did you so feel? I mean, when, when people also, do, you know, in medical, people do this with medical trials. I mean, did you feel that there's an ethical issue that you know the group that doesn't get the forecast may, you know, you could have helped them, but you didn't because you're trying to learn something? Or did you ever feel that uh, they complain about it? They they complain actually about it because after the end we put the two group together and the other group say, why did you tell us why <laughs> these things? Yeah. But you know. Uh, it was things that we needed to do. And we do something more sophisticated, like uh, having a farmers and uh, having a farm that we divide into two parties, in exactly two. You say, in this first uh, half, use only, do only when, they, when we tell you to do anything, planting, everything depends on us. The other one, do as you want. Do it just as your farm. The one that we do our experience, we base everything on climate, on, on, on climate forecasting. I give you an example. When we expect, when we have a first rain, and we knew that the monsoon was not, you know, settled in, because you know we knew it, we were following the monsoon, and we know we have a big squall line just coming from Mali and giving the rain. Mm. Everybody planted. We say, don't plant. Do not do anything, mm. because we knew the season was not set. Because many people who plant did lost. You, you, you knew it was after, a false onset. And it, yeah, it false onset. Rain exactly. once and then stopped for a while. Rather, it stopped. Stop it for more than twenty days, and everybody who planted did lost everything. Those, those things will make the difference. And also, when we see that the monsoon is here, now we think that things are quite right. Mm-hmm. 
And we think the waves start now propagating. We say, okay, now we are sure that the rainy season will start soon. So we say, do dry planting. Go, just go and plant. We say, no, we are not, not ready. Just plant in our, in our farm. And if you compare those two, you'll see quite the, the big difference, huge difference between those, those So the forecasts were good enough that you, you had uh, better yeah, results when, with the community. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. We got few misses. I have to recognize it sometimes, but, you know, sometimes does it harm too, too much. But, you know, my guess is we get success because there was nothing. The farmers didn't get any clue what happened. So we have few clues that give at least something, you know. They Can you tell it. me the I story you told be. again about how the missus didn't... Uh, oh. <laughs> didn't didn't okay. stop your... They uh, didn't ruin yeah. the trust you had gained? So in the training, I was trying to explain them. Maybe sometimes our focus can be wrong. And we have only probabilistic way to estimate. We are not sure at 100%. And I was trying to bring the idea so they will know it full well before making any decision. For me, it was very important for them to know yeah. what, their, what decision are they making. It's not a determinist fork. It's not going to happen. But it's just a likelihood. It's our best guess. It was a, <laughs> it was a room that we was in the farmers and it was, very, it was a very hot day. And I was trying to emphasize again and again the problem way and trying to explain different ways so that they understand. There was an older farmer sitting back and he just raised his hand while he was explaining. And I say, yes, I expect a question. He say, don't, uh, don't worry about it. We know only God knows 100% what will happen. <laughs> we knew your focus sometimes will go wrong. <laughs> so I was so relieved that he got the right, the right view in the perspective. And as part of the society, I know people understand that. People are believers. They know human beings cannot you know, know what's, what will happen in the future. You can just have expectation, but people will not know it. So it was so, so, so nice for me, so relieving for me <laughs> that he came with this idea. And everybody, you know, uh, you know accept it and, uh, and know that the, prob the probabilistic nature of the, of the forecast is something that they will understand, that things are just probabilistic. And, and, and so in practice, the few busts that you've had have not destroyed yeah. the, yeah. you know, have not the caused them to, they've not destroyed yes. the trust that they have in Europe. The trust. And the trust was very, very, very important. But, you know, as I said, it was kind of a community at the way. Sometimes they call you, you know, ask if you're, you're doing fine sometimes. I was so amazed. Some farmers called me, yeah, how are you? I'm the farmer, such and such. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. And they say, I'm just seeing how, how, how do you feel? Are you okay? I say, I'm okay. I say, just I say, yeah. hang up. Of yeah. course, we have a few, few, few challenges, uh, but, you know, it was, it was quite good uh, the, the two few years. After the second years, I think, we start getting some funding. And challenges, you know, will make us always see that there are new things to do especially when you start doing these text messaging things, because it came very clearly after, one, after the second year, the farmers were saying, listen, everybody have a phone here. If the message you can carry by text messaging, it would be great. And yeah, we yeah. start doing text messaging. The first year, of course, we need to find out somebody to help us in the text messaging. But afterward, we, we took over, because now we are doing it with, with the med service. With the med service. Yeah. Of course, after a few years, we do another evaluation, much more exhaustive because now people knew what we are doing. People were excited. Some people can, we got some interview. We got a few things, blog orders published and uh, we get more money and we start having an external now uh, monitoring and evaluation. And they came in and, you know, realized that we are doing a lot and it's helping a lot and saying now uh, the text messaging is not working for some farmers. So we start doing the voice messaging. So now if you have a forecast, we record a voice in a local language and send it through the phone. And people, when they pick up, 
they will get it at a local language. So it was quite back. But, but I mean, so so overall, it sounds like, you know, you did this, started doing this work of your own, you know, initiative, you got a little bit of funding, you start talking to everybody. And then as you bring people, your, your co-workers out with you, you know, to see how you're doing it, it, it sounds like you steadily got the, the, the institution, the agency, weather service to, to recognize the value of it and to take it up and to put more resources into it you know, presumably more more people involved, I mean, to do the text messaging, to do the voice messaging, to keep organizing these things. I mean, it, it sounds like it's, it grew over time into a an institutional effort rather than just Usman's own freelance thing, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are getting more and more involved and then doing a work and getting excited and, and the med service is getting somebody connection. So, so they are more and more up to it. And also the agriculture department was seeing also, you know, the result and were asking for more. The agriculture, so, and the, farmers, being, with the agriculture department is a different government agency or it's in the West? Yes, it is. It is. It is, oh. it is different. Yeah, it is different ministry. Completely different. Okay. And, and what really uh, exciting also is the farmers themselves because uh, farmers are part of organization of farmers. So they go and tell their story. So that's how we get the grant, at, actually, the big grant from USAID because mm. USAID was doing a lot of things to help people but not mm. including climate information. I see. But... When they went in the field and uh, some farmers start telling them, we are getting very nice thing from uh, the med services. So the mm. US, USAID come to see us and say, why can't you provide us climate information? Okay, wait, wait. So farm. USAID had people in the field communicating with the same farmers and the farmers told them yes. these guys in the, in the center yes. in the med service are doing this stuff and USAID came to you and exactly. said, you know, exactly. can we scale this up somehow? Sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And wow. exactly. When did this, how long ago is, are we talking about? Uh, it says, I think it's 2015, I think. Okay. Uh-huh. The first grant we have is 2015. And, and remind me, when did you go back to Senegal in the first place? You, 2010. You 2010. 2010. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've been there five years and it gets, to, that's when it gets the attention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, since then, USID understand, you know, the, the importance of this of this climate information, and now we are working as partners. And mm. the much of the funding that we are getting right now, we're getting through the USAID, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's so interesting. So we got a lot of uh, things, a lot of challenging in the forecasting. Try to improve our forecasting also, and try to improve our, our 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 services. And it's not only farmers; we do it also for fishermen, because you know Senegal have uh, many coasts and. Most of the people are also fishermen, and uh, the fishermen used to have problems with the sea, you know, when the sea is rough, you know, or not. So we start also training them. And when USIADs come, came in, they say, we work both for farmers and for fishermen. So you need also to work for fishermen. So they really so you started the, uh, give so us So after the, USAID, you started working with, the, you extended it to... The yes, yes. Okay. It was when USAID came, they have two big projects, one project for farmers, one project okay. for fishermen. So we are quite uh, successful on that. And we are both now giving climate information service for fishermen and for farmers, completely separate now. It's not me, myself only. There are many, many people, of course, yeah, yeah. doing a lot of things, you know, many, many colleagues, you know, working very hard, you know, very, very hard, very, very supportive also, because it's a kind of a teamwork. You know, you yeah. cannot succeed you alone. 
But uh, now after those success, those publication uh, in the blog and this and that and the med services, we start getting some grants and getting some recognition. Recognition. It happened, you know, uh, two years ago, I was nominated as a director of the med service. Yes, so tell me about that. Expected. Tell me, this is a big, this is a big deal. I was, this is uh, a you know, big when, deal, when you told me this, in a way I was, in a way I was not surprised, <laughs> but of course... I kind of was because uh, you know it's a big it's a big uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's the yeah, highest you can was, get uh, in the country in terms of our profession exactly exactly leading the med services you know uh, the med service how it organized is we put civil aviation and the med service together mm-hmm. you know because civil aviation I guess have more money and more income and mm-hmm. the med service have not now enough resources so we put them together and the director general called me and asked me if I want to take that position. I was so surprised because I was not expecting it. And I start making up my mind what I will do next. Because, you okay, know. Wait, wait, wait. So, what, what was your actual formal position at that time? What is the position? I was a chief of department, to say. I was leading the department of research. Okay. That was my, my research and application. I was leading that, that, that department. Okay. So, I have under me everything doing seasonal forecasting and the application on health, on agriculture. So, did, did you report directly to the change. director, or there are some layers no, 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 in no, between? No, no, no. I was reporting directly to the director. The director reported to the director general. So I was under the director. I see. Okay. I was reporting to the director, yeah, to the director of the Met Service. Director general means he's the Met Service and the civil avi- aviation. Yes, exactly. Yes. I yes, see. exactly. So the director general is a director general of civil aviation and meteorology. So he called me and what I wasn't expecting, you know, asked me to... Because I was I have a lot of thought in my mind, you know, working with farmers, seeing things happening, and also getting some ideas that I want to try, you know. And then he uh, he called me one day and asked me if I want to take this position, you know. And uh, he said, you know, you are doing a good job. I think you can do it, so and so forth. Uh, he said, no, we don't have too much time to think about it. You need to tell me, you know, because <laughs> we need to, <laughs> to make the decision. I think that's their way to make you take a decision. So I, I accepted it, and uh, I was the director. So uh, it was challenging. Uh, it was challenging. Now I have to manage more than 250 people. And that's uh, how much we are, how many we are in the med service part, in doing, doing different things, uh, you know, uh, having to monitor everything. The work is doing fine. I mean, talking to people, ensuring all the bureaucracy is done, you know, attending many meetings. I mean, that was the thing that created a headache for me. There were always a meeting. I'm sure. I to attend the meeting. I'm sure. Uh, it must yeah. Be and then the government also, because you are the mess service, if, if, when those, they talk to the director general, but at the end of the day, it's you to respond to the government, you know, mm. ensuring everything is really okay. You know, mm. sometimes we have some power outrage, you know, you have to call to see what's up. You know, you have to do a lot of things. And sometimes you have some people under you who are not doing well the job, so you need to talk to them, you know, so and so forth, and how to, you know, how to manage people. Yeah, some people, they do quite good job, well-done job, so you can count on them. Other people, you have to manage them somehow. So it's another different kind of job. Also, uh, as I told you, I will start doing some teaching and liking a lot sometimes, you know, or co-advising some student. I like it a lot also. Anyway, so it's another paradigm, but I, I took it. Now, arriving at the head of the med services, first of all, I, I met quite everybody in my office, asking them, you know, what they want, what they need to be changed, what are their frustrations, 
so and so forth, I take notes. And I explain to them what is my new vision now. And I told them clearly I have four point my vision. Senegal need to, uh, need to lead in West Africa. We are doing a lot. We mm. need to lead. And for that, we need to develop the numerical weather forecasting. I mean, mm. we are depending a lot heavily on other models, even they are not free. I mean, the CFS is free. The, the climate forecasting system of, uh, of NOAA is free, of course, when access to them. But many US, other models... US are, forecast uh, data is free, yeah. US forecast, yeah. And we need to start working on this numerical weather forecasting. And if you need to understand... So there wasn't the any? Uh, so, so, no, so no. Did know in Th- there was one on sea, how to wave, how to focus wave. Mm. They called it uh, wave watch. Model. Right, but not it's full on NWP, not a full numerical yeah, not for NWP. forecast. So I thought we need, we need to invest on that and to know better. Because when you start doing the SSI, it's not doing the NWP per se, but you get better interpretation on the, on the, on the mm-hmm. forecast. Because you should, you should know how the model works in order to better interpret Yeah. And I have young people also, and I needed also to have a model in West Africa that we run, and people uh, we rely. And that's the only way to, you know, uh, to be uh, to be accepted as a, as a big center in West Africa. That was one pillar of my vision. Mm-hmm. The other one, of course, is uh, to improve the climate information services. We need to work on services full well, having a services, having people doing social science, communication, and marketing, of course, mm-hmm. and having that, but we don't have internet services. The third pillar was the observation system, because I was mm. seeing the observation system was going down and down, mm. and mm. we should do better. We can do better, mm. and we need to, to reinforce that and to put more modern, mm. modernized, you know, automatic weather observation. And the last one is to ensure that what we are doing, we are getting money out of it and doing the public-private partnership. Of course, we started already with the text messaging. We are getting something out of it because we were selling it a little bit higher. If we got it, let's say, for $1 for the company or phone, phone company, we sell it in $2 and we share the benefit, uh, the $1 on top of it. Mm-hmm. So pub- public-private partnerships where you make deals with private companies, I mean, for private, private companies, private, yeah. So that so that the, some of the uh, there's some service some they are paying for, and some of the revenue goes to the help support the weather service. So you can exactly some exactly. of these other activities that you you know your existing funding might not be enough to exactly because I I'm seeing that now we have a lot of competition coming because of the of the net now internet you can find anything yeah. any focus in Google and everything so we need to do something different and in a better way so and our core science is forecasting we need to open to private companies that can do more marketing see mm-hmm. where is the benefits and so forth so we need to open it when we, what we was not doing so well so we need also to ensure that as a service we need to think about we are not civil servant and we need also to bring money the med services for different ways, of course. Mm. So that seeks also to be developed for it. People that I have need mm. to write grant, need to go to, to discuss those, mm. those, those things. Mm. So that was really the pillar. It was four pillars. For me, it was simple, straightforward, and we need to work on it. And another pillar also we are trying to work is climate change. Climate yeah. change affecting a lot. Extreme I was going to ask are, about that. So that, I mean, you see, that's your agency is is the is the lead one on climate change or is there any other? Yeah, we are. We are in the lead on the IPCC one because yeah. uh, climate change are different things. Our political one, the negotiation, what they yeah. call the COP and anything. So the environment is leading the climate change in general at the national level. But we are the IPCC focal point. So all those projections, etc., etc. So any, any sector that need data will ask us and we give them the projection. Of mm-hmm. course, with the uncertainties, and they run their own model for the sectors, and then we help mm-hmm. you provide the, the, the data. 
So we are we are doing that, uh, trying to do that. I mean, we are trying to develop capacities to understand better those uncertainties and you know the forcing about different scenarios, this kind of stuff. Can you tell me a little bit about how climate change as an issue is perceived in the country? I mean, do the farmers uh, bring it up with you? Do you bring it up with them? Does it not come up? You know, the your users. Yeah. I mean, is it something that you perceive? From the from the bottom up, there's a demand, or is it something more that's just a government responsibility that you're, you know, kind of educating people? I mean, how is it? How does it enter your consciousness? You know, what are the different ways that it impacts yeah. your, what you're doing? The, the farmers didn't realize it is uh, what's happening to them is climate change, but they can they can tell clearly something is happening. It is a big change. For example, they will tell you. Here we used to have a deep forest, you know, everything. But now we see that things are moving further south. We don't know why. And sometimes they tell you we, we used to see some kind of animals, you know, here. We couldn't even go, you know, in few kilometers. But now those animals are completely disappeared. We don't know what's happening to us. And they can tell you, uh, you know, we used to do this and that. Or our forefathers will tell us this story, but we couldn't find it. Things are completely changing. You know, can you explain to us? You know, we went some workshop. Farmers were saying very clearly that things are completely changing in terms of bird biodiversities, you know, rainfall or whatever. So they can tell you, we, we need, we used to have these crops of 120 days or 180 days to plant, and it was really great. But now extreme events are really, you know, killing us. You know, each time we have extreme events coming in. For example, we have some, uh, some rainfall in form of ice, you know, last year. And they were saying these things are getting more and more close. Men or more often. Have hail and hail, exactly hail. And they were saying, you know, we didn't believe in it because our father, our forefathers used to tell us we have hail rainfall, <laughs> but we couldn't believe it. But now we have it, you know, because of the you know intensity of uh, of the rain mm. now coming in. So they perceive it in that in that level. Mm. They now we will explain to them because of the greenhouse effect. We are emitting a lot of gas, and everybody should do it parts. And you, you should do more. Also, try to emit less so to go bio and so and so forth. So I mean, they have few contribution, but. I mean, and of also course, you need. Yeah, Senegal is not a high emitting country. I no, mean, no, no, no. We are not. You, <laughs> don't, you don't deserve much blame for the the problem. Yeah, but you know. Anyway, we, we need to we need to do some. <laughs> we need to do the best that we can. Yeah, I mean, the other interesting thing is that, of course, as you as you know, the projections for the Sahel have been particularly uncertain. So you know, will it be wetter? Mm -hmm. Will it be drier? I mean, still, mm -hmm. it's not completely. Uh, clear so yeah. i wonder if people are aware of that or how you handle it when people ask you i mean you know yeah i mean the, the difficult part adam really is that this is our challenges is how to put uncertainty in the decision system when people come to ask you questions they need the answer yes or no you know but when you give them you know yeah but you need to consider this and that it becomes difficult for them to make a decision yeah i know furthermore furthermore Different scenario can give him different, complete opposite decision to make. Yeah, right. yeah. So that's that's the difficult thing. So we need to right. we always explain to them: the farther you go in time, and the less certain we are. But at least we have something. We know what the trend looks like. So at least it's better to do with it or without it. That's what we or to put it very bluntly. And after explain to them, it's science related. You know, uh, look at the emission of the greenhouse. It can change any time. The best example that I give always is between the two presidents of the United States. You know, in, in Paris, we have Obama coming on and commit to, to reduce the gases. And after he went, and then 
the other president came and said, you know, <laughs> we go out of power. So there are a lot of uncertainties that we cannot handle. So we need to take into consideration the scenario, all those uncertainties that is social science related. So that's why we cannot be sure. Anybody can tell you for sure. But at least we have a glimpse of what will happen. If the greenhouse raise, we are sure the temperature will raise, uh, extreme events will increase. We know that acidification of ocean is going to be more. And we know that uh, also the sea, you know, sea level will rise. So we know those, those signals. So at least we need to do something. How, how, how much now is the problem? So coming back to your question over Sahel, of course, you know, we have a lot of uncertainties to the signal. But when I look at, for example, for, for temperature, we don't have, no, 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 temperature is clear. The signal is quite yeah, it's clear. Getting hotter, yeah. But rainfall is, is, uh, is quite a little bit different. But it looks like when I look at the, the last report, Western Sahel is projected to be dry compared to yeah. Eastern Sahel. We're going to wet. I don't yes. know. It's Unfortunately, how crazy, that's what the latest the, for the latest projections. It looks like mm -hmm. worse for Senegal mm -hmm. than for yeah, exactly. other exactly. countries. Yeah, uh, the government we are insisting that in their planification they will take into consideration climate change and then not just to to do their planification based on their resources on what they expect or they want to in the in the in the future. I have many times this discussion with with people at a high level. For example, I was invited in a. We have a big institute of research, an agriculture research. It's a big, big institute. They do a lot of research. They have a lot of money. And uh, I was invited uh, when they do their orientations, they call it a workshop, where they talk about their planning, their vision, so on and so forth. And uh, they was planning without uh, using climate change. They're just saying, you know, we need to get autosufficient on rice in mm -hmm. 2035. We need to have this. We need to have more fertilizer. We need land, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At the end, I raised my hand. I said, you know, who tell you the water will be sufficient enough? Who tell you that uh, the rainfall pattern will not change? Which tell you that this region is going to be dry compared to other mm -hmm. region? And, you know, one guy who came from France was really amazed. He said, yes, that's right. We don't take climate change. He said, yes, yeah, important. You take climate change. And the guy was very good. He's a good scientist. He was saying, we need to redo the report. The group was working on this, need to work again and take into consideration the climate, the climate change effect. Mm -hmm. So you see, at that level, even people will not consider. So we need to bring more awareness on people about uh, mm -hmm climate change. So any meeting, for example, I went to the meeting of uh, the flooding, because when the flooding happened, it's been very political and very intense. People who are underwater was you mean really, right now? Uh, right now, yeah, creating right some now. problems. And the government is really upset. So they bring all experts and tell them, you know, we need to solve this. And their things is just, let's pump out the water. Let's do the, our best pump out the water. And that's the strategy. And I tell them, if you pump it this year, it will happen next year. This is, you know, related to the long climate. I don't know, can tell you if this one is really related to climate change, but the signal will go up and up. You need to put in your planning some things that go in the long term, you know, putting mm -hmm. more, you know, pipeline or whatever to ensure that this area is going to be livable and even move, remove, move some people from that. And then, in, you know, they words, were listening and say, You're saying there needs to be long term adaptation rather than long term just, uh, adaptation -term strategy. Response. Yeah. And also to motivate people, you know, people are just human beings are complicated when you, when you start, you know, leading uh, yeah. people. You know, how people are complicated. You know, yeah, you need to, I, I admire you for taking Yeah, you know, people are, are very, sometimes you say, you know, why should I tell, why should I do all those things? Can I just live and, you know, live a quiet life? And then <laughs> that's about it. You know, right. but I think somebody have to do it 
And I think we was uh, lucky enough to get this education in the U.S. I mean, getting at Columbia, in, uh, you know, going, not only going to, to get teaching, but going to a society where you see people doing nice things, doing big things, seeing, see, thinking very big, you know, very liberal, those kind of notion. If I can at least implement that in the in the med services, what I'm doing, I tell people always, do what you say, what you think, maybe, and be also open to other people to do what they say, what they think. But at the end of the day, let's have a compromise. Only compromise can work. And you know, I'm not here to dictate anybody what to do. You know, I will listen to you, and we do the best, and we'll go little by little. Well, you know what I'm impressed so, so. by in your whole story is, you know, it started with your, you know, losing your parents when you were little, and your sister you know, making sacrifices to give you the, the opportunity to have an education. And then, so then you have these various steps you went through and then you come to the U.S. and you're kind of, you're a, a special person who the community see has a big investment in, you know, you're kind of a, a point person for a lot of uh, hopes and you, and you've kind of, so then you go back to Senegal and you, you've kind of carried this sense of a lot of hopes are invested in you in some way. You're in a, a, a position of, of, of relative, you know, you've had opportunities that not everybody had and you have, uh, you know, appreciated them very much and tried to give back to all the, you know, the people in these different ways, whether it's working with the farmers in the community or translating for people in 116th Street. You know, so you seem to have a real, um, you know, an approach to the job of humility and service. It's really admirable. You know, that, that seems to be a sense that's carried you all the way through. Do you see what I'm saying? Does it, does it sound right? It's good, I think, to, to believe on something and to start, you know, implementing it if you think it's something positive and to leave something behind you. That's always in my mind what I'm thinking of. After a few years at the Mid-State, I have to go anyway, and I'm thinking of it a lot. I have to leave a better state. I maybe, you know, learn something, be happen to be at IRI, happen to be at Columbia, happen to learn a community in New York, doing things, you know, and coming back in my country, I need really to give back. And and wherever I go, I, I want to have that spirit. How can I help? It's very difficult sometimes. Some people are reluctant to them. It's a whole system sometimes. You have to fight to move a whole system. But I'm ready for it. I'm not here to for money or for anything. I'm here really to ensure what I believe. I want to apply it. Of course, I will use whatever I have, you know, my time, you know, my research, my knowledge, also my connections that I have in the United States and everywhere. I, I use it, you know. We need we need to push things and we need also to ensure people are doing training. More people in the med services are going abroad to do more trainings yeah. and to come to bring ideas. Because this science is amazing, climate science, but it's advancing also a lot. And also there are many things that was found, I think, somewhere in the uh, United States in other way. For example, I am part of the S2S you know, group because yeah. I think that's something we need to look very close seasonal to because we need it. Uh, seasonal to sub-seasonal, you know, because our farmers didn't have a lot of means. They need more time ahead to be prepared. If you tell them the year going to be dry or the year going to be wet, if they have any funding more, the funding will increase or not. No, we need to ensure that we give them ahead of time so they know what to do. Mm. So we need to pay attention on to, to this. Fortunately, we have good connection. We are very nice people. It's not only you, there are other people also. We are very open. When I discuss with them, when they see what I'm doing in the midst of with a vision, clear vision, they are really ready to support. They are really to support. Some people told me, you know, I have this grant, but, you know, tell me what do you want to do? 
I, I, I write it in the grant so you can, and that's, that's, that's very nice. And I take this opportunity to see where we are lacking in the mid-service and how to close the gap. So there are challenging. This work is very challenging, but we are responsible of everything happening. That's why it's very challenging. Sometimes that's why my wife telling me I didn't have a life, you know, I just, <laughs> you know, always on the phone or always going to work. You go early to work. Sometimes you have a meeting, you come very late and you start yeah. thinking about, you know, what yeah. is the solution. It's very challenging in that, in that part. But sometimes it's very relieving if, you, if I see any focus when people go to the TV or whatever, going a testimony that we save this because of the focus of yesterday. You know, yeah. I say that's what I wanted, what more that I want. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm happy of it, you know. It's very political. You have to manage a lot of things. To believe, some, to, to sometimes have a belief, a deep belief, but politically it's not right. It's not politically wrong, so you have to, to change. Don't are part of the work, but I think that's real life. People are, human beings are human beings. So it's not rocket science. It's not one or minus one. It's sometimes in between. And we, we're doing it. We are doing it sometimes. Uh, but uh, we have a vision, and we want to, leave a very big med service in Africa. That I, that's really my goal. So anytime that I see something somewhere, I want to really do it. So I'm trying to create this system of postdoc here. Last year, we managed to have one, but I want to push it more and more. I think that's the only way because the government didn't want to hire people. But yeah. if you put a grant, you can put a salary in there and people right, come and work right, for the right. med service. So, and, and people stay for two years, they do a lot of work because they know they have to go. So, but when people are hired for definitely, sometimes they just, you know, take it for granted and, and so on and so forth. So those are new ideas I want to put little by little. But uh, it's, it's challenging and exciting at the same time, you know. This time we are mostly affected by this COVID, you know, crisis because our funding yeah. was, was cut some station when it built was not done because the government did cut our funding. But we understood this, this is life and, and we are trying. I mean, I think I'm, I'm doing quite, quite fine. I'm thinking two things, maintaining the same cup, but at the same time thinking of, you know, I have to leave one day and I need to ensure that everything is very well set. And I'm thinking preparing the next one. I mean, always seeing who is uh, the big guy who can do the job at the med service and can take it in another level. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's about it. Okay, well, it's, an, it's a wonderful story, you know, Usman, and uh, I'm really um, inspired by your, your trajectory. I've been keeping up with you a little bit, but it's, it's wonderful to catch up on all of this and find out what you're doing and to see that, you know, one of our graduates has, has risen to such an important um, position and, and that you're making the most of it. Mm. the way you are so you know thank you so much for taking the time to Adam, talk it's, to it's, me. it's me to, to thank you for the, all your support really personally your support you know always open to any things this is a great ep this is going to be a great episode yeah. uh i i really appreciate it yeah but but i needed to i need to also to tell my story also what things different maybe it's no, not more that, by research it, well, that's what related this is findings, this is about but, the stories it's not about yeah. anything but you know it's about the stories yeah. of the people who are yes, doing this, uh, uh, the science from all different directions yeah. in different parts of the world and you know so yeah. you have a, ex, a, a great a great story thanks very much Adam thanks for having me in your okay. thank you Usman wow that was a good one right I and others in this field sometimes struggle as you've heard me talk about on here 
with how to make our work relevant and useful to people in the real world, but Usman is really doing it every day. I'm so happy we could have him on to tell the story of how he got to where he is. My co-creator and creative director is Melanie Bielli. Our editing and audio post-production are by Duotone Audio Group, where our editor and post-producer is Stefan Wiener, and our audio engineer is Livia Wicks. My creative consultant and spiritual advisor is Minnie Jardine, and our original music is by Eli Sobel. I'm Adam Sobel, and this is Deep Convection.